I came up with a whole new character yesterday on the road. I just thought, oh, I should oh. include that, and I'll tell you which character it was at the end. But um, okay, <laughs> so, well, that's wonderful, Jimmy. <laughs> All right, um, on my end, um, everything happy here. Um, finished Mad Men. It's Doctor Who month um, because in a couple, in like on the twenty third, will be the sixtieth anniversary. So lots of Doctor Who celebrations happening and um and things so so that's very nice and we watched a really bad tom baker the other day to celebrate so that's <laughs> nice <laughs> well, <Yeah>. that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the one that i wanted to watch didn't work and so we watched another one which did work and it turned out to be poo but i guess they can't all be classics can they so there you go <laughs> well we're, we're <clears throat> deep into sons of anarchy and i can tell you now that our man Hellboy is no longer a prison. And you know what that oh. means. Yeah, amazing. Uh, amazing. And that was obviously a very well-executed little uh, jaunt, let's just say. And, right. Um, <laughs> and I can tell from your eyes you're happy and you remember. That's nice. And then we finished Friends last night, our second lap of Friends. Oh. So there's been a little percolation on the go. So we just... We just finished that off yesterday, so that was... That and, was... of course, the Perry angle must give yeah. us an extra angle. It does, for sure, actually. It really does, yeah. And it's the, and you really sort of appreciate... Um, I, I really think the Ross and Rachel thing is bigger than most sitcoms get to, do you know what I mean, in terms of the yeah. the two chasing one another and the, the will they, won't they. Like, it's quite... It's, it's you know, the... Like I guess Sam and Diane and Sam and um, Rebecca, yeah. isn't it? Like, you know, yeah, so well, Sam and Diane especially. Um, yeah. And I guess David and Maddie in Moonlighting, mm. uh, yeah. for example. Oh. Uh, even though I was never massively into that. I think I would like to get into that, Moonlighting. Yeah. yeah. But yes, yes, um, yes, Jimmy. Um, so that's all lovely. I have more to say, actually, but I think we should probably get to it because, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm quite eager to get to the bones and there's things I've watched but I can I can mention them another time I think so I'm I'm happy just to jump in me old sucker all right I'll be well I will go without prompt further I will say mm. welcome 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 to shoulders of giants I'm Jimmy hello I am Sheppy <laughs> and uh, I don't know why I laughed at your name <laughs> no rude. no it's a good one <laughs> um, and we are the what if podcast for movie sequels prequels tv spin-offs extra seasons you name it and uh today we're actually back to form sheppy actually yes. uh doing a proper canon episode which is very exciting and uh yes it's been yeah. a little while and so that's that's great i suddenly did get a little buzz of excitement just a moment ago although that might be the double tea bag that i've been like having a go at with, uh, with an extra spoonful of honey for that kick. So either way, I'm tickled to be here, Jimmy. Tickled. Absolutely right. And I really hope, I could good feeling this could be a ticklish podcast because, you know, we've got a, a very fun little franchise to build upon, Sheppy. Uh, yeah, and a funny old one, and one I would never have thought of. And I think, if I remember correctly, you would never have thought of it because no. you wouldn't necessarily associate it with me correctly. And I ended up watching with Marta like a few months, maybe four months, four months ago. We saw the first two. And I guess, yeah, am I remembering this correctly? That you were like, why not just do a fourth 
Austin Powers film? I think yes. I think I said fourth, and I uh, but I may be misremembering too, Sheppy. I've broken my own rule, and I think I'm sequelizing the second and going for the trilogy capper. Right. Um, as 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 I, I respect the gags in Gold Member, but I I'm slightly disappointed by it. And um, right, I'll, I'll tell you why. Well, later. we can get into yeah, exactly. I'm I can't wait to hear what you've come up with. Oh, no, Sheppy. No, 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 no. Well, all right, all right. Well, look, before we go down that rocky, rocky road, let me ask you this. In terms of the Austin Powers trilogy and your relationship to the franchise then, um, I'll quickly say I was there. I'm sure you were there too. Boots on the Ground, 97. New Mike Myers in England. Saturday Night Live wasn't a thing. But, uh, you know, the Wayne's World, the movies came out. And so I married an actress murderer came out, but then Austin Powers. So it was like, okay, cool. Mike Myers, I remember seeing the trailer uh, and I remember going to see it at the cinema um, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. And, you know, the Mike Myers thing of it's very hit and miss and very reliant on repetitive humor. And that's okay if you like that. Um, but, and also so hit and miss, but at such a rapid fire. And it's also so charming. And his performances are always very spot on and charming. So that was my initial going in. What about you, Jimmy? I mean, do you like the the franchise as a whole? And do you remember seeing it? Did you see it at the cinema in 97? I, that I, I did not know you saw this in the cinema, Sheppy. I was one of the ones that watched the original on VHS. Uh, right. For the fact. And absolutely, I, I can't remember who was in the room, but I remember my friend Bray was in the room. And uh, it was just in my, uh, you know, bedroom. And we, like, it was one of those ones where you got the boys round and we just sort of all watched it on my bed. But honestly, just cracking up. Like, oh, that's nice. Absolutely one of the happiest first watches. It was so funny and, and just hit all the notes, you know. And I loved your summary there. Yes, very hit and miss, but so many hits. And, and the first is the best. In my view, it's pretty mm. perfect, really, as comedy. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, it's it's just wonder. And just quickly, I would say Myers-wise, like Wayne's World again. I think Wayne's World one and two. I didn't see those at the cinema. I had a later mm. relationship with them as well. Wayne's World, I tried to go and see at the cinema, and I'm pretty sure it was Wayne's World, and not two. But anyway, that was the movie that my. Uh, grandmother said, nope, we're not doing Wayne's World and we ended up watching Shawshank Redemption on our own in the cinema next door. Um, well, that worked out, didn't it? It did work out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but back to Powers. Um, and then the sequel, I'll just quickly say, I, I did see the cinema and I saw in America uh, with Stu when we were out there and it was just well, it was following this sort of semi at the time iconic trailer, wasn't it? Of like, yes. you see one movie this year, see Star Wars, because, you know, Phantom Menace was in the, on the horizon. And if you see two, see Austin Powers and Chloe Shagney. That was brilliant. Like, it was really clever, wasn't it? And, and I thought, oh, wicked. Anyway, we did, and with an American audience, that was an absolute hoot. And <laughs> we ended up watching that twice on our travels. Oh, wow. So good. And then. And then for, I'll just quickly put the capper on my experiences of watching it, which is to say the gold member rolls around again. I can't remember the specific date. It was either just before or just after you and I met up in Sydney. But I'm on the ground in Sydney and I'm then, um, I I basically, <laughs> I'll tell the story. 
<laughs> Who cares? In two minutes it'll be. Um, like, I, I remember um, the day Stu and I parted ways, basically. We were sitting, he went off to go work on a farm and I stayed in the city. And I'm sat under a tree reading a book in a park. And there's a yeah, um, it, of... you couldn't make it up. It's like prime <laughs> adventures of Jimmy material. It's like season 18, which is ages ago by our standards now. Please continue under a tree reading a book. And um, and anyway, I uh, I basically am um, I'm just yeah, mighty well business. And then a group of three Dutch girls come and have a picnic nearby. <laughs> I mean, what universe is this anyway? And then they sort of are, are giggling away at themselves. I'm sure I'm getting <laughs> a little side glance or two from actually the prettiest one, as it turned out. I won't mention names, but I'll just because I'm actually still um, Facebook friends with this young lady. She's a very nice lady. But anyway, uh, we are, uh, and then I get checked. I say something, you know, absolutely peak Jimmy Witty. I can't remember what it was I said. And they giggle away. <laughs> anyway, I, I say to them, and back then, I thought I was sort of king of the castle a little bit because I was working in a local hostel. I knew all the bars. I knew when to go. And I just said, oh, look, we're going to be at this place tomorrow night. Blah, blah, blah. You should come. Sure enough, flash forward, they do come to that pub that night. And, um, and I, I sort of get chatting to the prettier one, arrange a date to go and see Austin Powell's gold member. And um, and everything, Sheppy, is going so well. This is at this stage of my life, like by some distance, the most attractive girl I've ever walked down the street with. And uh, and I go to watch Austin Powell's gold member with her. And of course, gold member himself is Dutch, eats his own skin, despite <laughs> my own better judgment, despite her absolute disgust and near walkout. To, you know, she is really offended by this movie. I must have giggled a couple of times by accident, and then like, <laughs> like it was just off. Oh, it was all over it for Jimmy after that. Shame. It was such a shame. If we'd chosen any other movie, my whole yeah. life might have been different. But um, you know, you should have seen Shawshank. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, of course, I ended up with my lovely wife. But um, and then last year for my birthday, she just said, "What do you want to watch?" Um, and as you know, Sheffy, it's a little hand ringer. And I said, you know what? I haven't seen Gold Member since the cinema. Why don't nice. we bloody watch that? And we and did. there's a really offensive Kiwi character in there that you've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I and I just it just went too big, like with all this cruisiness right. at the beginning and everything, and right. and then I I was just a wee bit disappointed by it. Honestly, I was gutted I'd chosen it for my birthday. You know, it's still uh, it's still got wonderful moments, but. It's actually just nowhere near the caliber of the other two. So that's sort of why I wanted to do like a different trilogy. Yes. And they well, end up, I think, evil and powers end up buddies at the end as well. Well, let me Brothers. say, because I, I have something yeah, to say yeah. about that. So that's wonderful. Um, and all of that's nice. And the penny dropped when you were about halfway through that story with the Dutch girls, where I suddenly realised where it was going. And I, I had forgotten to make a note of it, but I had remembered earlier about this Dutch experience, which, by the way, I know someone, well, I used to know someone, you used to know someone who was dating for a while a South, Af a South African lady, and they watched Lethal Weapon 2, and that was that. So there you go. It happens. It happens. <laughs> Um, so anyway, with that in mind, I like all that you say, Jimmy, and I agree with it. I'll quickly say this, the, like you say, the summer of, uh, to, to basically go full Hunter S. Thompson, but the summer of 1999 was a very special time and place to be, 
and you had the Matrix, and you had the Mummy, for God's sake. You had Wild Wild West, which was tipped to be one of the massive films of the summer. You had like Blair Witch and Fight Club and Sixth Sense and American Pie just on the horizon. And then like you had Phantom Menace, of course, that everyone had been drooling over, including myself, for like two years when it was all in production and everything. It was finally here. And who knew that like the Matrix was going to like rule the summer in the end? But then Austin Powers 2 came out. And it was like, who knew that that would be you know it was basically us in powers 2 and the matrix with the triumphs of the summer world world west was like the embarrassment uh the the last action hero and phantom menace was a huge success but it, you know, for a lot of people like myself we, i was like yeah <laughs> yeah and i saw it four times at the cinema um between like i don't know june and or july and october um so and I, and I, you know, anyway, it wasn't what we all wanted it to be and all of that. But anyway, as it turned out, Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me, was one of the mega, mega hits. Uh, that's the Matrix, I would say, culturally and everything. It was massive. Um, uh, Beautiful Stranger, that was the anthem of the summer. Mm. Um, that uh, and Duel of the Fates was pretty much everywhere I remember going. Um, and Austin Mania was so kicked off. It was a massive film, was number two. Gold Member was probably a year too late, which actually came out the same summer as Attack of the Clones. So there you go. Oh, and, and yes, you totally mentioned the trailer, which is wonderful. It was so good. And yes, if you only see one movie this summer, watch Star Wars. But if you don't know another one, watch all the best. And then for um, Gold Member, when it was up against Attack of the Clones, they did, if you only watch one movie this summer, watch Austin Powers. If you only watch, if you watch a second film, watch Austin Powers twice. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. Nice <laughs> twist. <laughs> so so I like that. Yeah. It was worth it. Um, but so I saw that at, uh, at the cinema as well. And, and I liked it. Um, I, again, I didn't love these films, but I, I liked it. And I saw both one and two a couple more times over the next three years or so. I saw Austin Powers on video in Australia, as it turns out, on Christmas Day in Cairns. Um, so, so there you go. Um, and yeah, but then I haven't hadn't seen either of them for you know at least fifty years, probably a bit more. Um, and I'd seen Goldmember once, I think on Sky or something. Um, and I vaguely remember this. And I remembered, like you say, they become friends. They're brothers because then Sam Mendes ripped it off uh, for Spectre. Um, and, and I knew it was Michael Caine. And I, and I knew it's so true. He ripped off Home Alone in, in Skyfall and then he moved on anyway. So, so then, then he ran off and bought a newspaper and met Ewan Harrods with his massive hands. But nonetheless... <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. So so anyway, it was huge. It was lovely, um, beautiful. Gold member was probably a bit too late. But again, did you know that Michael York, um, who, of course, is in the Austin Powers trilogy, his stepson is Rick McCallum, who is the producer of the prequel trilogy. Oh. So they had they both had massive films coming out in on the same so years. Lovely. That's great. It's astonishing. Astonishing. And if you like... Um, I'm sure McCallum was involved in some way. I mean, Special Edition came out in 97, the same year, of course, as Austin Powers. So that's lovely. I had no idea. Good old mm, McCallum. Yeah. Good old Michael York, who, by the way, I checked to make sure he wasn't dead, and he's not. So I was I was really glad about that. Um, yes. Spy Who Shagged Me 
um, had um, had all the things like Mini Me as well that people really, really fell in love with, which was massive. I must have sensed that Gold Member wasn't going to be great, and I and I didn't, you know, and I just did. I wasn't tempted to go and see it um, at all. And I guess for me, Powers Mania died off pretty quick. It was a flare, and I liked it, but then it went on for. A little while, and it's like when Brian Adams was number one or wet, wet, wet. You're like, okay, that's that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> um, and so because of that, I never really went back to it. Um, but but again, it 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 did focus on lots of things that I like and lots of Bond tropes and also Jason King and you know all of, of our man Flynn and all of that stuff, which is nice. And also, you know, so it, it focuses on. On that, did you know that the bit? I don't. You know, you remember the bit where in the first film the the henchman dies. It's the guy who gets run over, I think, and it's also the guy who gets his head bitten off. And it cuts to the friends, and one of them is Rob Lowe, and they're like, mm -hmm. "Oh, he died, Scotty, I think, or what? Whoever we we salute you. No one ever thinks of the henchman." And there's a, a, a similar scene with the other guy, yeah. and it wasn't in the American release. I don't think. So actually, the DVD that I saw recently was um, the American version, and it wasn't. Uh, yeah, that those bits weren't in there, and I think I read somewhere once that that was the case. So there you go. But that's so yeah. funny because those are such good scenes. Yeah, they're put. It's such a brilliant idea. I've tried to play on it in my pitch, actually, funny enough, but not quite fully formed that bit. But yeah, yeah, brilliant idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go, Scotty Evil and you know Seth Green on a massive role. Number two, you know your Wagner, and then again, you know everything. All of them are great. Um, and three is the the weakest. But like I say, so it was a, a couple of months ago, four months ago, just randomly on a Friday night special, we watched the first one and it went down well. So the next week we watched the second one. It's like wine and crispies night. So we were yeah. whooping it up and and everything. And then, but again, I was like, that's probably enough. Don't want to OD it. Um, and so we we weren't going to watch Gold Member, but then you set this, and then I wrote mine, and I wasn't going. I still wasn't going to watch Gold Member because I was like, I, I remember enough in that I remember Scotty Evil. I think is evil at the end, and I know that they're friends, but frankly, I'm just going to ignore that anyway. So mine is number four, by the way. But it's like you know that's fine. But right on the last night, Marta was like, well, we've got number three. Shall we just watch number three? I'm like, let's watch number three. So we watched number three. And so I watched Goldmember and I definitely enjoyed it uh, because my expectations were so low and it's such a random unplanned watch. And it'd been months since we saw the other ones. So I really enjoyed it. It is still obviously the weakest and Goldmember as a character doesn't work as well as, you know, Austin or, or Dr. Evil, or even Fat Bastard, who I actually liked a little bit more this time. But even so, I do, I'm not, you know, it, again, it's one joke. And so should probably just be in one scene that basically. But anyway, I like I like that. I like the Austin Powers. I like the I like Nigel Powers, of course. I love Kane being in it. So so there you go. Um, so I I that was that was nice. And it it made me just add i didn't change anything to my my thing my pitch but i just added one detail i didn't change mm. you know i didn't make you know i just i i, I there was a, an addition of, of one thing just because i watched it which i'll tell at the end 
Um, but yes. Oh, and also, what's it all about, Austin? I heard Brett Goldstein talk about this a lot um, because there's a big Alfie connection. And what's it all about, Alfie? The song. And for a gold member, they did a version, and it's a, like a sequence where all the characters sing a version, and they sing "What's It All About Austin," and they took it out because everyone got too emotional in the test audiences because it was really emotional, and no one laughed for the rest of the film. So, but um, and I kept meaning to, and today I just YouTubed it and watched it, and yeah, it's like a bit of a downer, um, but it, it's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So there you go. I can totally see why they took it out. Um, but it's a it's a lovely scene, and again made with love. And Mike Myers obviously loves this stuff, which mm. is great. Um, so so yeah. Oh, and also one thing I remember about Goldmember. I assume it was Goldmember and not um, and not Spy Who Shagged Me because after Spy Who Shagged Me, it was so big. But I remember Brosnan in an interview only a few years later. And he was still technically James Bond at this point, and it was pre, you know, Danny Craig. And Brosnan was like, "Yeah, for a gold member, I think um, I, there was going to be a scene like Mike Myers approached me. I said yes, and there was going to be a scene where Austin Powers bursts in through like a baddie's lair and kicks in a door into another room, and then meets James Bond, who's in there doing another mission in the next room. And they can both kind of look at each other, and that's like a sort of an awkward scene between them. And then Brosnan fucks off, and then Austin fucks off, and they continue there, and that's great. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get it to get it in, and also the Broccoli's got a bit sniffy about them using gold member as a title um and it looked like they weren't going to be able to use it for a moment which you know is really wanky and after spike who shagged me to do it then it's such bad pa um anyway but uh, but it's a wanky dick thing to do anyway so anyway they relented but there was talk, and I don't know if this was just early internet chatter or if this was something legit, but some bright spark said, uh, suggested another title instead of gold member, never say member again, which is genius. Um, and so I even I wish that you know Broccoli's did say, okay, you can say gold member, but they said, no, we're going to use this instead now um, because that's great. So I like all of that. It's really the title was tough actually to come up with, to be honest. But uh, I'm nice where you went with that, obviously. But... Yeah, well, I'll I'll do I'll tell one spoiler. Um, it's not a Bond spoof pastiche title. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just going to quickly look. Um, I've got a couple of little extra notes. Too. Yes, please go so... for it. Um, well, I tell you this now. I think Austin has really lived with me. There's certain things in it that I think of all the time. I always think of um, the 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 steamroller coming towards the henchman. Yes, taking ages. Like it kind of comes up in little life situations where you think I can avoid <laughs> that or not avoid that, and he just uh, yeah always makes me really chuckle that bit. You um, always equate that with Elliot Carver, which I find <laughs> unfair. But um... <laughs> keeping it Brosnan, I love it. Um, uh, yeah, um, and then uh, I always, and it's just. There's two things, that, and it's an intimidating giant to stand on here, Sheppy. Let's just say that. Yes, his gags can be repetitive and stuff, but we both know this, like you say, he loves his material. He's created yes. iconic characters like Mini-Me and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, and you just, he knows funny. He really yeah. knows funny, doesn't he? Like, 
And I think yeah. it's like two things specifically. One is the, the moment where he's doing his three-point turn in the first one. Like, <laughs> something I think of all the time when I'm driving in a tight spot. Mm. But it's just that he holds it that to that spot where he's going, mm -mm, well, forward, mm -mm, backward. And then he does the one, the land gag, which is <laughs> looking over his shoulder and then it just yeah. shuts forward. And it's just fucking <laughs> perfect. It's just absolutely the perfect way yes. to play that out. Yes. And, Probably, I think, an even more um, better example and a better example of his genius is a gag that is pretty unwatchable second time, but him coming out of frozen carbonation or whatever and the piss mm. gag. <laughs> it is the best example I know of a gag that outstays its welcome and becomes yeah. funny again. Yeah. Really. It's like they talk about yeah. on Kevin Pollock uh, often, but yeah, the joke that circles around. And yeah, it, oh, it becomes funny. You become impatient and it helps see exactly like you say. Yes, you're right. And that's it. And, and Myers is very good at pushing a beat to the final beat. And that's great. Um, it can be a bit exasperating to me personally, but the pissing is a perfect example of it being perfect. And yes, Myers, fair play. He is a genius. Oh, and I, I want to say before I forget, there's a lot of really clever wordplay in all of the trilogy, mm -hmm. but also this really clever and inventive subtitle joke in number three, which I don't think I've seen stuff like that before, where it's it's very clever and it's like naughty innuendo and it's 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 great. So the subtitle joke is is worthy of the the two Ronnies in, in with clever wordplay and stuff. And it's cheeky as well and naughty. So that's great, and also the 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 physical humor and the you know that you know that Myers can do physically is really funny, and the canoe and all of that, but also um, just general his reactions, his double takes. Oh, yes, amazing. Yes. yes, I would say the period between him being in the carbonate, you know, and like the way he is with his hairy chest and this sort of weird expression through the defrosting, through the pee, through meeting Vanessa and the Swedish penis enlarger and the danger's my middle name and the way he's looking at her and, and specifically the way he's looking at her, like you say, with his expression, yeah. facials and everything. That might be, on first viewing, some of the funniest, like maybe the funniest passage. Like it really is next level spectacular. It's really yeah. good. Really yeah. good. Um, yes. Then, <laughs> one of the things that undoes him i think is the pop culture references that he always insists on throwing in like investing in starbucks or whatever it might be it's probably not the best example because obviously starbucks yeah. is still monumental but it's just this he will throw in things like they're just the two of us riff or like you know and it's just kind of like it always dates the movie and it always makes me yes. a bit angry um but um and I just I loved random task in that first one, Sheppy, instead yeah. of my job. And it's just wonderful. And it, you know, who throws a shoe? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And, yes. And Mr. Bigglesworth is is wonderful. Yeah. So shout I out. About Bigglesworth. Amazing. Yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> of course, Will Ferrell and that whole Thunderball joke. And again, it's just focusing on a Bond trope of the villain killing and it's an exact thunderball it's the electric chair then the chair tips back and the dead body pulls down but then that plays out to the zenith or you know the, to the absolute limit you shot me in the leg that's uh, great 
it's wonderful. That's when you realise it's feral, like on a later view now, isn't it? It's really great. Yes, yes. My only other note, Sheppy, is again a bit of a sort of a self-aggrandizing one in a ridiculous way. Christmas party about three years ago. Um, a gentleman who I only just saw again for the first time since that evening. Uh, it was fancy dress. He put his tux on and went as Bond. And I put nice. the Austin Powers gear on and went as Brilliant. Austin Powers because it would be funny. And then at the end of the night, we were sort of two of the older characters attending. Like the kids were upstairs in this nightclub and we were downstairs in the bar having a whiskey, just <laughs> two secret agents talking about our <laughs> missions. <you know? laughs> That's right. You know, I the, see the cigar smoke slowly rising <laughs> and the, the bow tie undone, top button. Absolutely, my little woolly cravat, you know, like the fluffy... Yeah, it's slightly to one side, puffy <laughs> Any shirt. Any that you see, you know, just tip the glut specs to the other nose. Let me know if you need any help, won't you? Boys, <laughs> keep me abreast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. wonderful. Well, classic. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and once again, uh, as classy and likeable as Austin is himself. So uh, that's lovely. Well, with that in mind, Jimmy, I mean, I'm sure other things will pop too, but shall yeah. we shall we dive into your wonderful, wonderful in. pitch? Okay. Okay, Sheps. Now, I have uh, not gone with a cast list here. In fact, I'm going to give you, I assume everyone that plays the people is the same person. Right. And in fact, I was going to set this in 2023. I was going like up to date. Right. But I've gone for 2017 to account for Vern Troyer, RIP, because right. yes. he's passed on now. But um, but yeah, so 2017, directed by Jay Roach, mm. Shag and Let Shag, Sheppy. That's that's the really time I have gone Bon Trope. Um, yes. That's my <laughs> And to be clear, this um, gold member doesn't exist. Um, is yes. this a replacement? Yeah, that's my right. view. Yeah, I okay. Um, you're you're probably right. You could probably just ignore the fact that uh, Austin and Doctor Evil became buds, oh. but I I prefer to uh, to yeah just yeah do a slightly yeah. different trilogy kappa. And okay, Shep. So this has got a a great debt to Moonraker coming up. Nice. One other uh, flick as well, and I'm gonna just not give you the flick now. I want to say to you that when I set this, I then didn't think about it for a while, and then something occurred to me, and I thought, oh, I could just straight copy the plot of that very high-profile famous action film. And that would be actually really fun and brilliant to write. <laughs> and then, weirdly, in putting it in, it's the bit that's the weakest, almost. Like, I really haven't gone to town with the possibilities of that. And it'll, it'll make it sense in a minute. Um, but the, you know, and 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 oddly, I had much more fun either side of it, if you know what I mean. But, and it all makes sense in a minute. But just, yeah, the, I, I really thought it was just going to be a straight rip-off of that movie. And then I kind of lost a bit of interest in it. But I think, I, I, I don't think there'd be many things that would make me happier if you have, if you like any of this, Sheppy. Like, like to just be in a, a, a locker room with you, like, an office with you, with like just sort of um, like brainstorming how to really flesh the possibilities of <laughs> what I'm going to lay down for you in a minute. But but I do... I can do I can do that in a locker room. By the way, I can flesh out all the <laughs> possibilities. How round my well. neck? 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Styles in the background. Tubby eating a ham sandwich. Yes. Um, but oddly for me, this this does have some little wobbles where I'll tell you, but actually it's quite a, it's a cohesive thing with an ending, for goodness sakes. So how about that? Nice. Um, oh, I'm so, loving it. Okay. Um, all right. So we have a pre-cred sequence for this one, Sheps. We open on a Spectre-style gathering of villains, a rogues gallery, Perhaps we pan up from behind the head chair as the leader, Blofeld equivalent, is addressing the group in a thick, ludicrous, Clouseau-esque French accent. <laughs> this is Blow Earth, frequently <laughs> mispronounced Blow Off during the course of the movie and played by Dana Carvey. Brilliant. I want them all to be friends and happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, by the way, I, I said, I, I imagine Blow Earth in a black turtleneck, shock white hair, two sword white hair, and very, very baggy trousers. So kind of a tight top, tight suit, all black, turtleneck, but then very baggy trousers. Um, the reason for which will be revealed in a moment. Crucially for the scene, his chair is on an upper gantry above the other villains, and he is specifically looking down and addressing one of them, Draver, played by John Hamm. Who has failed in a recent mission, and uh, and the exchange culminates in the furious blow Earth ominously walking around the gantry so that he is in position above Draverham with a remote big red button. At the apex of blow Earth's fury, he hits the button and a cylinder shoots down to encase Draverham. The cylinder resembles an old gunk tank from a CBS <laughs> program. <laughs> Immediately understanding his fate. Ham gives the performance of his life to the please blow earth. No, no, no. And this is where we get a first glimpse of Dr. Evil sitting across from Draver, who looks pinky to the lip, terrified. Draver's protests are for naught as Blow Earth opens a hatch above Draver that specifically funnels into the cylinder encasement, and he lets out the most ridiculously overwrought fart, with even a squeak at the end for good measure. Before then, continuing and continuing, piss gag <laughs> repeated. Um, nice. All the while, the encasement fills with green gas and Draverham's blood curdling screams can be heard. No sooner has the gas cleared and we see Draver's skeleton and Blow Earth's attention switches to Dr. Evil and he says, UA Austin Powers. Dr. Evil gulps. It's being handled, cut to a private jet. Not Union Jacks or anything, but well decked out with a room and a king bed with silk sheets. Nice. Hit, this is, you know, brace yourself for some Moonraker action, Sheppy. The plane hits an air pocket and shakes, and we hear the pilot's voice uh, saying, we apologize for any bumps. Uh, we should be clear of this in a moment. And our Austin Powers is lolling around on the bed, trying to be seductive while sipping champers, kind of not kind of doing a not quite as aggressive Chevy on the waterbed. <laughs> and <laughs> may, uh, my impressions are going to be a bit off, Chevy, but we'll see. So um, maybe it's time we create our own turbulence, baby. The lady he's with, perhaps a cameo from Rene Russo, still looking Brilliant. spectacular, um, smiles and handcuffs him to the bed. And she says, Mostin, because he's obviously undercover. I should have said as well, he's got like a ridiculous little fake moustache on his <laughs> Mostin, it behooves me to remind you this is very naughty. And he says, oh, behave, baby. And she says, there's a difference between behoove and behave, Mostin. 
And Austin's eyebrows suddenly switching to sexy and ridiculous says, double O. <laughs> Renee tickles his nose and gives a, I just need to slip into something more comfortable. And Myers gives a little Myers silent bark and toothy grin <laughs> and leaves the room. Austin's watch phone sings its little ditty and Basil Exposition pops up on the square screen on his wrist. Austin, have you been distracted from your mission? And Austin says, I think you'll find I'm deep undercover, Basil. And Basil says, are those handcuffs? And Myers <laughs> repeats the gag because, of course, it's Myers. He goes, yeah. deep undercover. Remember, Austin, you must get the secret Fembot factory plans from the plane before Dr. Evil can activate them. And Austin says, Roger that. Russo returns, her negligee now open at the chest to reveal a pair of Fembot boob guns. <laughs> and, uh, and Austin says, I thought you said you were going to slip into something more comfortable. That doesn't look very comfortable at all. Uncomfortable for you, Mr. Powers. The boob guns take aim for Austin and start to make a little warming up whistle sound. And Austin breaking his cover of scaredness just says, fancy a cuppa, don't mind if I do. <laughs> the whistle intensifies. Austin comes to the bed. Austin comes to the bedpost, jump looks left, jump looks right, then makes a constipated scrunch face and manages to squeeze his hands from the cuffs. This momentarily surprises and pauses the Russo fembot, who says, Mr. Powers, your fingers, they are so nimble. Austin shoots a, look, shoots a look over the top of his glasses to her, but basically to the camera says, you'll never know, baby. He rolls off the bed, saying the, saying the words, roly-poly, like a judo-chop style superpower. <laughs> but he doesn't make the forward roll in a straight line, kind of crashes <laughs> into the bedside table as Russo's fembot breasts machine gun the pillows and play duck feathers in the air. Austin stands, picking, an, uh, picking up an unopened bottle of champagne to use as a weapon. The boob gun shoots the top off it and it immediately flows. And Austin says, if you wanted bubbles, baby, you just had to say. And he does this pure Myers mugging as if he's got a Moe Shandor endorsement deal going on. They fight, but by fight, sort of grab each other's shoulders for a beat or two. Austin breaks free from the shoulder grab and throws a cushion at her. She catches the cushion, throws it back. He catches it. A bead of sweat forms on Maya's brow. And then he throws the cushion and they throw the cushion to and fro, naked gun style for a while until Austin catches it a final time and then seductively squeezes the cushion and makes an ooh face. The Russo Pembot twitches. He shows her his right, more dexterous hand and twiddles his fingers. It's enough to send the Russo bot into spasms and short circuit and mini explode. The no smoking sign on the plane pings on. Nice. The co-pilot joins them from the front cabin. It's fat bastard with a peaked hat on. And Austin literally exclaims, it's fat bastard. Aye, <laughs> and now your number's really up, Powers. Fat bastard lunges, lunges at Austin. <laughs> his step to the left actually destabilizing and leaning the plane under his weight, Police Academy 5 style. They grapple a little, the plane tilting left and right with Fat Bastard's weight, and Fat Bastard eventually winning the tussle and pinning Austin down, wrestling style between his legs. Fat Bastard's <laughs> kilt has actually billowed and is covering Austin's face, <laughs> and he like really shakes his kilt <laughs> around. He goes, How's my meat and two veg working out for you, Powers? 
and you could hear baffled Dustin from under the kilt. I could chip a latte on top of two mouldy pumpkins. Let's say, <laughs> and, and let's say Myers comes up with a few more. It's Lycos, because of course it's Mike Myers. So he goes, <laughs> that bastard gets up, leaving Austin retching. And Bastard <laughs> last shoot around his shoulder and says, That's enough of that hairy bollocks about my hairy bollocks. I'm out of here. <laughs> that bastard jumps out the plane. Austin stands, still green about the gills, and finds an airline sick bag, briefly hyperventilating into it. Mm-hmm. So it goes forward and backwards. He staggers for the console. The pilot is in there, and it's feral as Mustafa. <laughs> he just looks at Powers wide-eyed and shakes his head. <laughs> starting to decline at a rapid rate, and Austin leaves Feral, heads for the plane cabin door, spots that bastard with an open self-fire Scotland flag shoot below. And with a spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch, Austin holds his nose and jumps out of the plane as if he was jumping into a swimming pool <laughs> and exclaims, bombs away! The plane immediately nosedives, heads for the ground and explodes, and explodes again. Will mm. Ferrell and Mustafa staggers out of the wreckage, charred, <laughs> the remaining clothes burnt onto him, his fez hat smoking. He coughs a little. He's bleeding profusely, but he could possibly make it. From under what's the remains of his shirt, he pulls out a necklace with a picture inside it of a beautiful woman and a small boy, also wearing an identical mini hat to that of his dad's. He takes out a very small phone from under his smoking fez and calls. We cut to the same young woman and the same boy at home, um, and the woman is reading to the boy. And the boy, I don't know why, he's got a, a very thick, annoying American accent. Mommy, why is daddy never home to say goodnight to me? The mum's phone <laughs> goes, and we cut between the mum and Beryl and Mustafa at the wreckage. And the mum says, Mustafa, are you okay? And Beryl says, I am. I am. I'm alive, honey. I know I've run it close a few times since I got this promotion at Evil Corp and the constant layovers. I gotta tell you, the overnight travel policy is not generous. Mustafa, your son is asking when you'll be home to say goodnight to him. Tell him. And a squirt of blood from Farrell's neck comes out and he uses his free hand to apply pressure. Tell him daddy's coming home. Farrell has tears in his eyes. It's the <laughs> best acting we've ever seen from Will Farrell. It's not the best Mustafa accent. Um, and the mum says, you can tell him yourself. And the music swells as the mum puts the phone to the boy's ear. And the boy says, Papa? And Farrell says, son, daddy's. And as he says, daddy's, a grizzly bear takes him <laughs> out, ravages him, shaking him left and right, tossing him Leo and Revenant style. And then the bear carps off and dashes into the woods. And the boy <laughs> says to his phone, Papa, are you okay? Beryl was sort of PG-13 gorging, visible, <laughs> shakily, slowly gets to his feet, his voice squeaking with pain. And he says, Daddy, is, I'm... And then we cut to a pair of hunters. And this is a cameo from Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. And, um, and Wiig says, Oh, I, she's doing like a sort of a very masculine <laughs> hunter's accent. You know, oh, I got it. And Hader's a bit squeaky. And he goes, you sure? <laughs> she says, that they're grizzly. And Hader says, you double sure? And Kristen Wiig, well, there's something through there. And Wig takes aim. And we cut back to Farrell and he goes, son. And he coughs and he's standing, hunched, but just on his face. But he looks in agony and he goes, I think I'm going to need to recoil my lower intestines. But son, I'm all right. Daddy's coming. And a shot rings out and Feral collapses. 
he says the classic Mustafa. I've been shot. I've mm. been shot in my umber vertebrae. I think it's got me in my intervertebral firmin. I may never <laughs> walk again, but I'll be home soon, son. Daddy's coming. And then cut to outer space and a meteor is hurtling for Earth, breaks <laughs> the atmosphere, and we get meteor point of view as it zooms through <laughs> the sky. Woods clearing. Four feral lands in a humongous crated explosion. Mm. And from under the rock, we hear... Son, it's a little scratchy. And then it just goes, bum, 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 and we've got Austin hurtling towards Fat Bastard. Cheeks wobbling, and he looks like a cute puppy under a hairdryer. Specs staying put, of course, naturally. Um, and this is a legit stunt, by the way, which means someone skydives in an Austin costume, and that makes me happy. Um, nice. And he reaches Fat Bastard, and they grapple a little. Austin, dazed, still manages to reach into Fat Bastard's jacket pocket and pull out a folded something, a map. Then shouts a judo chop into the wind. Fat bastard retorts, judo chop this, you dirty sunak. And burps in Austin's face. And Austin is loose and hurtling towards certain death until he spots a hot air balloon just below. He angles his flight towards it and manages to catch the basket. Of course, there is a very posh, beautiful lady inside. Maybe Kristen Scott Thomas. (laughs) Permission to come aboard? We see Fat Bastard make a happy landing. Probably a fat gag in here that I haven't thought of in terms of where he lands, whatever. And we're back for the basket. And um, Kristen Scott Thomas says, is everything okay? And Austin looks over the basket all serious and says, an old nemesis has just got away. And Kristen says, is there anything I can do to help? And she is super sexy. And as she unclips Austin's frilly collar, his eyes roll. And he tugs at the balloon thingy, whatever it is called, <laughs> the, you know, the heat into the twice. And the camera moves up and over the balloon into the credits. And oh, now I've done a little song for you, Sheppy. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's great. Oh, yeah. please. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this deeply. I'm crying. <laughs> um, so as everyone might it is a bit denser in the pre-title cred which is like a little bit raw rollicking <laughs> we go in a minute but um okay so i'll try and do my best mccartney here for living that live um and then what happens here and it's going to be hard to explain but like um in in the song like line three in a second it's like imagine mccartney singing it and then it like sort of breaks into Maya's voice, like doing a sort of a, a, a Austin Powers voice, if you like. But anyway, so it, and just straight saying it, not singing it. So it'll be, it'll go something like <laughs> When you were young and your part was an open book, you used to think of naming the English football team, the Queen Mother, and anything but Shirley Bassey. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. But in these ever rocking beds, in which we don't sleep in makes you give in and cry to shag and let shag bow shag and let shag bow what does it matter to you when you got a job to do you gotta do it well you gotta keep the little fella swell that's basically your shag that's amazing <laughs> I mean, I thought you weren't going to be L.A. Summer Heat, but this, <laughs> this is another keeper, Jimmy, another keeper. Um, and the list, uh, the list is amazing. And all of that. Yes, please. Um, and then we have, uh, then we cut from the credits to Dr. Evil at his table with, you know, the usual crowd. Number two, Scott, Mini-Me, Frau, Fat Bastard, and a completely bandaged Mustafa with the Fez on top. 
Austin Powers. Oh, sorry, hang on a minute. I'm trying to channel my inner Lord Michaels, which you didn't really mention, did we? But our evil right. Lord Michaels. Yes, yes, 100%. Austin Powers may have the map, but he doesn't know that is that what he doesn't know is that as soon as any serum is used to uncode it, the page will self-destruct in five seconds. And Scott says, well, you mean they'll still be able to read it? For a few seconds before it self-destructs, you mean they'll write it down? And Dr. Reeve has a little bit of disbelief, but a bit panicked. He goes, write it down? They won't write it down. They won't be able to get a pen in time. I mean, who carries a pen? Who carries a pen? And Scott's like, they'll type it into their phone, get it up on Google Google Maps, drop a pen, and boom! A mouth opens, Dr. Reeve <laughs> slowly turns. Mini-me, guess up the evil mobile. We're heading for our secret lair. And Scott just says, how can it be secret now if they know about it? You know, I'm getting a lot of attitude from you right now, and it's a really not helpful thing. It's been a very long day. You've got no idea the stress I'm under with the union. The evil spa was closed this morning. And number two says, Dr. Evil, how was finding the lair? May give us the chance to activate Operation Swippy Swap sooner. And Frau screams, Operation Swippy Swap! And everyone jumps. And Dr. Evil starts twiddling his fingers. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, and he starts sucking one of his fingers and he goes, I think I pulled something. And Mustafa investigates, who's basically, Mustafa is like the medical expert giving his vertebrae knowledge and everything. He goes, and, and Farrell just says, you know, you've strained the proximal phalanges in your index finger, Dr. Evil. And Dr. Evil concerns says, how will I convey the gravity of my plan and my utter satisfaction with my hands? And the gang looked at each other and number two says, perhaps, Dr. Evil, may I suggest using your toes? And uh, Dr. Evil then sort of says, actually, number two, I'm not sure that's such a good, but Mini-Me is already on the floor tugging at oh. Dr. Evil's shoes and their slip-ons with no socks on, a bit like Waltz and Spectre. As soon as one oh. of the shoes is off, the crew go, whoa, in disgust. And number two takes a tissue to his mouth. Mother oh. of God. And <laughs> Dr. Evil says, I told you this bar was closed this morning and I haven't had time for nails and exfoliation. Frau screams, no frown, no, that really won't be necessary. Scott, it is necessary. Look at those things. We <laughs> see them. The toenails are, are dumb and dumber style, long and pointy. Mini-Me is already trying to bite one of them off. Scott says, I mean, how do you even fit in those shoes? The doctor evil says, it's starting to get a little personal and hurtful now, and I won't tolerate it. I won't. Dr. Evil jump presses to a button on the side of the table, and a big red button emerges. Any other comments? And everyone is silent. In that case, let's focus our attention on powers and put our best foot forward. And he starts to do his evil. <laughs> and the others join in. Number two does also between wretches and evil laughs. <laughs> sucks his sore, and evil, Dr. Evil laughs, sucks his sore finger like a toddler, then laughs again and wiggles his toes. And we get <laughs> the swinging 70s, this old music, you know, which sort of, I think, if I remember correctly, kind of disappeared after Austin Powers won, but I love it. The kind of the Austin's in his band, and it's like, bah, yeah, bah, bah, bah. yeah, and it ends with an Austin to the camera or something amazing. Um, <laughs> but Austin is at a swinging party, but he's a little bored. And I haven't written this out really, but it's um, he's having a bland exchange with one of the lady guests at the party um, that isn't fulfilling him, you know. And his watch goes, and it's Basil, um, but Basil's on the toilet. And Austin's really chuffed to see him. He goes, Basil. And Basil is a bit flustered. He goes, Austin, I, I wasn't expecting you to answer. I had a voicemail planned. Uh, surely you should be out celebrating. Thanks to your efforts, we have the whereabouts of Dr. Evil's Fembot factory. And that's the, Austin does a really sad, yay. 
Austin, what's wrong? Isn't the Brazilian netball team there with you tonight? It's not the same, Basil. There's been only one. Well, Austin, she'll be at her family stables today for the Jim Kahana this weekend. We still have a line to the facility, and I can patch you through if you like. And he does. And Vanessa is there. Elizabeth mm. is back in full job pose. No one touches mm. Vanessa Kensington, in my view, and particularly their chemistry is just absolutely wonderful. So this is the return of Kensington for this one, Shep. And, nice. And um, and anyway, they have a little bit of an exchange, and Austin tells her how much he loves her. She just says, Austin, until you're ready to change. And he says, Vanessa, I am ready. I'm a new man. I'll never look at another woman again. And Basil interrupts the call and says, Austin, are you ready for the Fembot factory? Mm. <laughs> and Austin says, that's just not as bad as it sounds, baby. <laughs> I understand, Austin. And I love how she always forgives him. And uh, yeah. awesome, always forgive the way Hurley does. Um, and she goes, Tell oh, excellent. Sorry, an excellent Hurley. Here, <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, why don't you come to the Jim Carner this Sunday and we can talk? And he says, I will, Vanessa, I will. I've <laughs> never been to a Jim Carner. I wish it was like a funny word that you wouldn't be able to say. Anyway. <laughs> and he says, and he goes, Oh, did I grow serious? But first, I have to save the world. And then there's a raid on the lair of the Fembots. Austin in full blue suit with a balaclava over his face and specks over the balaclava and little eye holes is basically with a crack team and he says how dangerous are we looking boys and the lead SAS guy who I haven't cast but let's say it's Matt Damon um, mm. says I've completed 99 missions this is my 100th and then I'm out I've never seen anything this straightforward will be done in 20 minutes max and I hope so I've got a date with a pretty special someone tonight he takes out a box with a huge engagement ring. Wow, that's a real Bobby Dazzler. This was my great-grandmother's <laughs> ring. It was given to her at the end of the huge emotional story. Yeah, about the ring. Nice. You, get the, you get the trope. You know this guy's numbers up. Um, <laughs> and all the SAS are, are up on ropes on to get up the building. Um, and um, and they're, they're already scaling the building, and Austin's on his rope, and he gives it a hip, ah, Ah, oh, and he gets a couple of inches up, but he can't do it. And the rest of the team are already halfway up the building. So Austin <laughs> gives up, spots the door on the side, enters the door with a little gun, doing ridiculous leaps around the corners of the mm. building. Then he spots a guard and does a very awkward diagonal roly-poly and says the <laughs> roly-poly again and then springs up again. But actually, he's nowhere near the guard after he's <laughs> roly-poly, but he still manages to disarm him with a judo chop. The SAS guys are near the top of the building and the Fembots are slowly walking across the roof and come to them and pepper them with bullets, including our lead SAS, Matt Damon guy, who falls to his death. Cut to, and um, I hope I'm saying her name right, but I thought it'd be quite fun, Ao Edibiri, that's Sydney from she um, from uh, uh, Chef Sheppy. Um, oh, not sorry, oh. what am I talking about? Um, the, the bear. Bear. Oh my yes, Jesus, brain meltdown. But yeah, um, anyway, she's uh, the chef. Yes, is that BBC um, Lenny Henry program? Yes, it's one of the things. Um, I want that to come back. I do too. I always think that was ahead of its time. It was, and Lenny jogging along the canals. I love that. Yes. Um, but she's waiting with some friends, and she just gives it a. I think tonight's the night, you know, that he's going to propose, sort of thing. And the the friends are all super excited. <laughs> and she gets a call while she's with the friends, and um, and the call is Basil, and but but she just says, "Oh hi, Basil," 
and then she just and then she puts the phone to her chest and gives it a it's his office manager from office space so it's on the phone oh, anyway then she goes off to take the call comes back and just goes you won't believe it brian was killed today in his job at office space in a freak photocopy of stapling accident you know i just thought and i haven't really sort of <laughs> worked this up this needs a workshop chefs but i think the twist on what you're talking about earlier with the dr evil's henchman is to, to then flip to how the mi5 people get told that they got killed so they've all got really mundane jobs and a ridiculous death befalls them do you know what i mean and it's kind of all about those guys instead this time but i haven't you know it'd be fun to do silly on how the good guys die instead anyway so yeah, that's, that's an idea nice. to be workshopped a bit better but anyway um back to austin making his way through the warehouse he's a bit disoriented um then he hears a cackle and it's sort of a bit prisoner golden gun style <laughs> we have a shuffling mini me in the shadows and the corners and then the speakers over the top of the corridor saying, it's no use, Powers. You're just a rat in my maze, maze, maze. <laughs> we see Dr. Evil separately in the building, but sitting in a spin chair, speaking into a microphone, all excited and giggly. <laughs> and he has his back to a very large room. Number two is on one side facing the room and Frau is on the other side facing the room um, in, in anticipation of Powers finally making his way to them. Um, and Dr. Evil is still giggling to himself as he continues. You're just a lost chicken outside the coop, a rogue pubic hair on a, and Powers opens a door, and it's a door to the room the villain's in, <laughs> and the door Dr. Evil is facing. And Powers glares at Evil, and Evil scrabbles for the chair remote, slowly turns the chair around, then turns back with his finger on his chin and goes, Austin Powers, I've been expecting you. And he explains his Operation Swippy Swap, and it's basically Sheppy face off. Oh. <laughs> it's basically the, the plot to face off um, yeah. to bring British Secret Service down from within once and for all. And he says, You'll find it's quite irreversible. <laughs> and Powers just says, You mean I couldn't find a specialist to reverse it? And Prowl just says, Ah, and fires a dart at the deck. And we get the transfer montage for um, Evil and Powers. And we have the face cutting that we had from face off. We have hair follicles. We have application of a Mission Impossible style voice strip. Somewhere in the montage, a Swedish penis larger is transferred. <laughs> and um, so we have evil powers and Austin evil. Oh, 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 and I'll try and make it clear which one's which as we go. Mm. Um, so um, anyway, but I have to say, like, I haven't had as much fun as I thought I would with that gag. That was my my way That's in. So that everything else is like the added bit. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, the first thing that uh, our, our Dr. Evil, as Austin does, um, is bring the gang in, cuffed and in the back of a truck. So this is the evil group, um, as though he's captured them all. And um, Austin Powers, you know, dis disguised as Dr. Evil, is kind of Hannibal Lectured and unable to speak, you know, in the back. Mm. Um, and uh, so um, Dr. Evil, as Austin, drives the truck up to the front of MI5 HQ. Um, and to get, I appreciate you've had American actors do the stupid bit with the SAS and everything. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it really matters not. We're, we're nice. back in Britain. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, Dr. Evil Austin Bowers um, drives his truck up to the front of the HQ of MI5 um, and says, it's it's uh, Austin Powers reporting in with the entire evil gang. And, uh, and the voice on the little thing says, passcode, please, sir. Passcode? What, what, what's the, uh, what's the, and he looks back at the rest of the band and goes, what's the passcode? And um, of course, you know, the mouth is covered for Austin as Dr. Evil. 
And he says, someone take the gag off. One moment. And he says, one moment, sorry, to the little voice activation thing. And, uh, and so they take off the, the voice thing, the, 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 the whatever. The, the gag. The gag, thanks, Shep, off, um, off Austin as Dr. Evil. And, um, and he says, as God and the king of my witness, I'll never tell. And then Scott just leans over and tickles him. And he goes, okay, 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 good. God save the queen, like that. And then, bah, 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 bah. And then they get through the barrier, basically. Nice. Um, and, um, and then Basil is like, Austin, well done. This is quite the coup. Thank you. You're very kind, Mr. Exposition. And, um, yeah. and of course, you know, Austin is Dr. Evil, straining in the background, trying to get Basil's attention. Basil side eyes and just says, Austin, after everything we've been through, there's no need for formality. We must celebrate. Yeah. And uh, Austin says, I want to interrogate them first. And, uh, and he says, where would be the most secure area in the entire building to do just that? And um, <laughs> and he puts his fingers together. He's, he's listening to Basil. And Basil just says, uh, Austin, what happened to your finger? And he goes, oh, oh. Uh, that, that that little scrapper bit me like that and he points at mini me and mini me just gives a creepy smile and dancing eyebrows oh. and um and basil says well we'll take them to the central control screening room and as they walk and talk basil says i must say austin you really turned over a new leaf for vanessa that's the third female co-worker we've passed without so much as a glance let alone a growl and he says oh i'm a i'm a changed man and uh, the team are placed into different interrogation cells and Basil and Evil Powers enter um, Dr. Evil's, i.e. Austin Powers, and says oh. that. But then, effectively, immediately, um, uh, Dr. Evil's Austin says, if you'll excuse me a moment, Basil. And Basil, left alone with Dr. Evil's, just says, finally. And we actually get a huge Basil moment, you know, a big speech. Oh. How many men have I lost? What do you have to say for yourself? And he whips oh. the gag off. And um and Doctor Evil, you know, Austin Powers, Doctor Evil says, Basil, it's oh sorry, he doesn't say that. He says, Basil, it's me. He says, Oh, I know who you are. No, Basil, it's me, Austin. What are you talking about? Remember when we were in that Turkish brothel and I accidentally sat down on one of the hot stones and singed one of my rear admirals? <laughs> Austin has <laughs> untied his trousers. Austin is Doctor Evil has untied his little grey loose trousers and lets them drop. And Basil is shocked, but takes a closer inspection. Good Lord, Dr. Reevil, why would you replicate such a scar? And Dr. E Basil, uh, Austin is Dr. Reevil says, Basil, please, don't you remember afterwards how you told me about your food fetish and how that masseuse with two thumbs, Austin? <laughs> An alarm goes off and, uh, <laughs> and the evil uh, Austin powers, uh, sorry, our, our two men here, God, it's confusing doing this. Um, Austin Powers and Dr. Evil and Basil's realisation is too late. The crew have control over the entire building. And, um, and they unveil, in ridiculous exposition, their plan to remove um, the, 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 the king at the, the event he's attending this weekend, the Royal Jim Kahana, and, uh, and hold the king hostage for all the gold in England. And um, and there's a big Austin-style Dr. Evil laugh. But then Basil says, you know, um, Dr. Evil is Austin. Since the empire collapsed and after Brexit, there's really scant left in the coffers. Isn't there a crown or something? 
Basil says, well, I'm sure there's a scepter or two hanging around, but honestly, it's barely worth the effort. But it's basically beat for beat the million dollars <laughs> gag, um, resulting in a, it will be worth the effort to see everything you and powers have worked for go up in flames. And anyway, security laser bars come all around um, uh, Basil um, and, you know, Austin as Dr. Evil and all the other people in the Secret Service. And um, I'm not sure on the logistics of this, but who cares? Um, really, we just need um, Austin as Dr. Evil trapped while um, Dr. Evil as Austin goes and has a field day as Austin in a crazy montage before our finale in a minute. So this is about I haven't really realized, Sheppy, but I can imagine, you know, Dr. Evil as Austin having hilarious, awkward dancing in clubs moments, enjoying lots of orgies, Prowl being furious, perhaps after each of um, the conquests of Dr. Evil's powers, you know, snapping the necks of the unlucky ladies or whatever. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Austin's behavior is making front new page news in the red tops. And we see Vanessa reading these red tops as well and tutting and her dad, played by Jim Broadbrent, saying, <laughs> there, there, dear, he did the same thing to your mother. Lucky for me. And, uh, and Vanessa just uh, says, I really thought he'd changed this time, though. Anyway, we know the evil troop are planning to take over the Gymkhana with, e um, you know, our, our evil, sorry, good God, I'm really struggling with it. Um, Austin Powers, uh, Dr. Evil's Austin Powers at the spearhead. And number two says, sir, I've taken the liberty of making some alterations to the evil mobile for your cover. And the car comes out and it's limo length, but two huge, great, big pink circles like carriages together on wheels with windows on the side of each. And Scott just says, Whoa, looks like a pair of melons. Get your fresh melons here. Oh, we've got Jason Statham as a greengrocer <laughs> as the car goes past. And, uh, and as the great big pink baubles go past, he just goes to one of his customers, that looks like a pair of tits normally breed in the winter. And Oh, I haven't done a very good impression of him, but it's Stephen Fry giving a lecture on the migrating patterns of the birds. And one of his students looks out the window and just says, look at that car. And Stephen Fry looks over his shoulder and goes, my Lord, look at those bazookas, grenades, swords, elastic catapults. Charlie Hunnam, Hunnam, Hunnam sorry, <laughs> dodgy deal as a gangster. He's in my mind with some sort of obviously, to appear in, in a wimpy car park and they're both in deep disguise. <laughs> <laughs> and Bro wow. looks across at the road as the car goes past and just goes, that looks like a pair of coconuts. That's what the tracks are missing. We need to lay them down on top of the guitar solo. Ozzy Osbourne is in Abbey Road mm. studio. He just says, let's <laughs> take five, lads. He goes outside, stands by the famous pedestrian crossing, Pelican Crossing, writes up a fag as the car goes past and he just goes, look at those. Knockers are back in now, see? They're replacing the doorbell. Michael Caine in a cameo as a door knocking door knocker salesman who was knocking on the door of one Daniel Craig in an enduring <laughs> mode. Daniel Craig with a big <laughs> and spectacles, and he says, "I'll take a pair." Jolly good, sir. And anyway, we got Amazing. <laughs> yeah, floppy hair, Daniel Craig. I, yeah, I miss him. I, so. I do too. Um, so, uh, Doctor Evil's Austin Powers attends this Jim Kahana. And we've got a surrogate Charles Naked Gun style lookalike playing king for the waves and bafflement again. Actually, to be fair, now I've gone back to 2017, it could probably be a surrogate Charles Liz lookalike. I literally only changed the date of this name before we, we logged on, Shep. So, anyway, <laughs> but 
Um, it doesn't really matter. The royalty's got barely anything to do with it. Um, so we, we've still got Austin as Dr. Evil and Basil trapped behind um, the lasers when one of the agents, maybe a cameo from Damien Lewis, says, I think we can deactivate the beams if we have something we could reflect them off. And Basil and uh, Austin as Dr. Evil look at each other and then Basil looks at the shiny crown of uh, Basil as Dr. Evil and they both nod. And um, Dr. Evil has powers um, and the goons arrive at the Jim Kahana. And there's a few beats here that I haven't really fully written through. Maybe one of the horses sees Prowl and bears its teeth. Scott maybe gets fully swept up in it and may have found a new love and vocation. Um, Vanessa spies Austin and heads over to him, you know, stomps over to him. And uh, Austin says, I'm sorry, my dear, I'm too busy at the moment. Vanessa slaps him and walks off. And uh, Austin is Dr. Evil has placed his bald head into one of the beams and it's bouncing off the light in a new angle. And uh, Damien Lewis is like, a little to the left, and that's enough to have it cross over and then crosses over another beam. The whole system is deactivated. And Basil says, great work, Agent Lewis. And um, <laughs> so, as, uh, sorry, Austin as Dr. Evil wastes no time and immediately heads to the roof for a chopper. At the Jim Kahana from the chopper, um, Austin as Dr. Evil says, look at all those hoardings so much sponsorship and basil says that's the only way you can get anything done these days austin how do you think we got this chopper and the pilot looks back from his seat and cheers is with a heineken and uh, austin as dr evil looks at basil who looks at his amiga watch the camera holds on the amiga watch for at least 20 seconds and basil <laughs> says it's showtime and austin just looks at us and breaks the fourth wall like that anyway um austin as um, dr evil uh then lands sees Vanessa, and at first, of course, she's repulsed by the sight of Dr. Evil. And he's saying, it's me, Vanessa, please, can't you see? And Vanessa's sort of like very confused, and she says, I, I have to go. And she's show jumping until during the big battle. Um, and I've really cut here, Sheps, like there's a big battle, you know, that happens here. Um, and it's kind of the, the Secret Service versus, um, you know, uh, Dr. Evil's Austin Powers and his goons. And during this big battle at the Gymkhana, she spots Austin as Dr. Evil battling a goon and attempting a roly-poly, but the roly-poly <laughs> goes wonky and she checks herself and goes, Austin? And it's a huge, humongous shiver moment. Um, <laughs> nice. But they thwart the kidnapping of King Charles slash Queen Liz and, um, and, and they arrest the entire bunch, including Dr. Evil and Austin Powers at this point. Um, and then Austin as Dr. Evil um, is, is with Vanessa. And again, he tries to convince her and says, remember, I singed one of my testicles on a Turkish hot stone. And she goes, Austin, I think that may be a new injury, but it's all right. I believe you. And uh, the watch phone goes. And, um, and Basil, who's actually left the, the, the battle, um, is, is suddenly on the phone. And he goes, Austin, the crown jewels have been compromised. And uh, Austin says, Oh, Basil, I'm so sorry. I know a fantastic surgeon in Istanbul. Basil says, no, Austin, the actual crown jewels. You must head to the Tower of London at once. I've commissioned the brightest and best scientists we have to complete the transformation back to your old self. So in a makeshift room of Jim Broadbent's mansion, um, Austin is going to be transformed back by the crack team. And before he's about to go under the knife, he says, boys, do you know when you're operating, you couldn't... Jimmy the old Johnson, you know, add a little lead in the pencil. Vanessa is with him and says, Austin, don't be silly. 
and then Austin immediately is sort of gassed out and falls asleep like a little puppy in a cute mm. way. And as he does, Vanessa just goes, three inches, boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, back to looking the same, and pretends to, and I've again skirting over the beats of this action scene, but pretends to still be the evil Austin with Vanessa as his hostage. And at the Tower of London, gains Fat Bastard's trust for the critical moment to thwart him. And at the precise moment, Fat Bastard is arrested. He declares, I know the real threat here. I know the brains of this outfit powers. You shall watch your back. And we hear an evil French cackle. And Austin gets super serious and says, and his eyebrow, uh, eyebrows, as much as his lips say, blow off. And, he's, <laughs> and we just hear an earth, Mr. Powers, blow earth. And Austin turns around and says, who invokes an egg? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and Blow Earth says, you're about to find Oot. And, <laughs> and Austin just says, I think I've gone earthy now. I think I've had about enough of you already. And he's chuckling at his own jokes and does millions more of those earth jokes as well. And, and Blow Earth bends over and cackles. And it's basically, although the sort of secret service are there, it's really a standoff between Austin and Vanessa and Blow Earth. And um, Blow Earth bends over, cackles, and Basil shouts, Austin, catch! And tosses him a hairdryer. Austin whacks it into full and blows as the mightiest part brings out. And it's basically almost like a Harry Potter versus Voldemort, you know, of Austin <laughs> shaking as this huge gust comes. And, he, and Austin shouts over the, the, the turbulence and wind, Vanessa! cover your nose i can't hold him eventually austin um, collapses and also blow earth kind of semi staggers away from the efforts and um and runs up the the steps to the the, the roof of the tower of london and austin chases him and um, and we get blow earth escaping in his evil helicopter or whatever and we actually have the drone shot of austin like bereft at the top of the tower of london kind of looking around confused and then it's basically our cliffhanger ending and it says austin powers will return in blow another day and there's oh my god the credits thing uh we have the credits roll and then there's a silly little mid-credits thing which kind of takes all the heat out of the cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> it's, that it's a naked in the stable skit between austin and vanessa with very well positioned saddles and farm equipment <laughs> and um and that's basically Shag and let shag, Sheppy. That's wonderful. <laughs> You're gonna need a line to say, "I'm so glad you recovered from being a fembot, Vanessa," because <laughs> she was 100 percent revealed to be a fembot. So, but that... Jesus, I totally forgot about that thing. <laughs> but that's okay. That can be remedied with one line. You know, <laughs> I'm so glad you got over it. That or something. <laughs> so that's that's good stuff. Um, maybe it's the same crew that do the, the uh, swippy swaps, like you know, yes. maybe it's them can do an operation to make fembots yes. real. Swim. That would be a lovely thread to pull. They've unearthed a fembot factory, let's give them back their souls. And maybe Vanessa was in the fembot factory and she returns home. And that would That's be nice. a nice thing to do. There you yeah. go, she yes. can all work. Look You're giving this more thought to logical storytelling than Jay Roach or Mike Myers, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for bearing with me, so because that was a bit of a chunker. But uh, you know, that was great, wonderful, Jimmy. And once again, some very surprising, like you and I, one or two similarities. One particular, it's so random, it's getting ridiculous. So we'll, we'll find out all about that. 
but it's so funny like what how that all works out um that was lovely jimmy just just wonderful and again what can i say they made me very very happy bless you so, yes. it was fun to write actually this it was fun to write when it got going for sure it really was uh yeah he's created some fun iconic characters and then to be honest just wish we had all the time in the world to book another bond song like you know i just because yeah. it's the kind of thing you could wallow into ages and just have so much fun playing around with it's right? wonderful yeah exactly mike myers you know he, he, good for him quite frankly yeah. and yes he's got wayne and by the way nice you know um product placement wayne's world styly uh, that was nice He's got Wayne, he's got Austin, and he's got Shrek. So right there, he's got three absolutely hugely iconic characters. Um, yeah. Good for him. You know, he wanted, um, he started recording loads of Shrek with, I guess, an American-y sort of accent, and then said, I need to re-record everything with a Scottish accent. Shrek needs to be Scottish. And they had so a great, great trouble. Yeah. yeah. Nice, man. So wonderful. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm, you know, I'm doing little silent Austin barks at the bit, you know, to just <laughs> uh, at the, at the right. prospect of a Sheppy pitch. I'm going to say straight off, I don't know if this is a, a Shoulders of Giants first in terms of when I've set this film, or what by set I mean when this film is made. Um, often, usually, of course, I do it a few years after. That's my, my thing. And sometimes I'll do like present day. Um, this one actually, it's it's like the release date is a little bit in the future. Wow! Um, this film comes out in twenty twenty seven, so there's time to make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the title is Austin Powers: Intergalactic Gentleman of Time, and wow. uh, it's, it's directed by Jay Roach. It's Mike Myers, Salma Hayek, with Rob Lowe, Mindy Sterling, Michael York, Seth Green, Robert Wagner, Paul Dillon and various cameos um so we open um and we see the skyline of manhattan and uh text comes up you know like on on the screen new york city and then a beat and then united states and then a beat in brackets of america um and then we cut to like a plush and family friendly bookstore in central manhattan um and we find austin is uh, finishing up a book reading and signing of his latest memoir. He's standing at a podium in front of like this small group of attentive listeners. And behind him is like, you know, a massive cardboard cutout of his, of the book cover, which is of course him. Um, and he's, and so he's reading um, and he, he ends his extract um, by, with like Austin's like, regrets I smirked roguishly, like I told your wife regrets are for the chickens prime minister <laughs> and then the smattering of knowing chuckles from the audience and austin uh, then looks up knowingly and is like and that is how canada remained unaffiliated with turkey in any way and also why i can never again set foot in a steam bath in istanbul there you are oh, look at that. I mean, what a turkish how, bath how crazy <laughs> in, in istanbul um he smiles and closes the book, uh, which we see, and also again from the huge cardboard cutout behind him, that the book is titled Stop Austin, exclamation mark, 
You'll Go Blind, exclamation mark, The Austin Powers Adventures, Volume 3. Uh, Austin now sits at his little table, signing books for patrons who form an orderly queue, speaking briefly with each one, and Austin being like, and who shall I make this out to? And, you know, hello, love. Oh, what a striking smile. Have you modelled? You'd make a wonderful lampstand, <laughs> etc. Um then there's like a, a slight jingling is heard and then a book is pushed in front of Austin on the table. And without looking up, um, Austin says, okie dokie, and who's this for? And we just have a voice say, my brother. And Austin, very nice. And he's writing in the book, to a great brother and a fab friend. And what's your brother's name, old chum? And he's still not looking up. And uh, the voice says, O'Brien. And um, Austin's like, oh, smashing. And he doesn't have a first name to go with that by any chance. <laughs> and he's amused by his own antics, still incredibly not looking up. And the voiceover's Paddy. And uh, Austin, splendid to Paddy. Oh, you know, I think I knew a Paddy. And he trails off and finally looks up, revealing Paddy O'Brien's twin brother standing over him with insane and murderous intent in his eyes. Uh, he's older, but easily recognisable by the astonishing amount of lucky charms he has draped over and hanging off every part of him. He's got loads of bracelets, necklaces, earrings, his jacket, off his lapels, his hat brim, trouser hems, etc. And Austin's like, hang about. And um, everything jangles when uh, O'Brien suddenly with his next sudden movement, uh, Austin moves just as O'Brien brings down a hurling stick with a serrated blade attached to the front. Uh, mm. Austin leans back in the nick of time, and the blade and stick uh, smash down on the table and right into the book cover, Austin's face taking the force. Uh, the table is smashed to pieces and the book is pulverised. Austin's on his feet, indignant. I hope you've paid for that book. I have a tentative arrangement with the publishers concerning unwarranted returns. And O'Brien, stop your yammering powers. You'll pay for what you did to me, brother. Oh, my name's not Brian O'Brien. And Austin <laughs> has struck like a fighting pose, but now relaxes this and pauses a beat. And he's like, I'm sorry, did you just say your name's Brian O'Brien? And uh, indignant, like, what of it? And Austin, oh, nothing much teased much at school were you yeah and what of it oh nothing nothing and he resumes fighting stance but then almost immediately breaks it again he's like, and your parents i mean they were irish yes yeah yeah sure they were and they named your brother who was also irish paddy and he's uncomprehending like yeah so like at austin and then at the same moment they settled on paddy for your brother they your parents the o'briens they looked at you and settled on Brian. And Brian, what's the matter with Brian? Brian's a fine name, a family name. Well, yes, I mean, it actually is the family name, though, isn't it? <laughs> so why not call you, I don't know, Keith O'Brien or something? What sort of idiot would call their son Keith O'Brien? Well, if with that in mind, what sort of person would call their son Brian O'Brien? I mean, if your surname was Franklin and your parents named you Frank, would that be okay for you? Would that be an issue at all? No, why should it? Jacob Jacobson, that'd be fine too, would it? 
and very impatient now. <laughs> of course, Jacob Jacobson's a strong, dignified name. Why do you ask? And Austin, oh, no, no reason at all. And then to himself, but if my parents had named me Powers Powers, I may have something to say about it. And <laughs> O'Brien... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can really yeah. hear that to himself with him. Yourself, like after that, powers, powers. I can really hear that. That's amazing. Sorry, yeah. Uh, like, are oh, you through with your pratter walling? Because I'm a busy man with a lot to do, and top of my list is to kill Austin Powers. And Austin, faux casual. Oh well, in that case, I'm sorry for being wasting your precious judo chop. And he launches at O'Brien, who counters with his stick, and they have a fight around the bookshop. Austin brandishes and swings his karate arms, and Brian O'Brien swings and slashes with his hurling stick as they dance about the large space, patrons fleeing at, with yells of concern. As he backs up uh, on the back foot from the unrelenting and vicious stick attack, Austin grabs a thick hardback book blindly from a shelf, holding it up in front of his face as a shield. And we see for a second, it is Margaret Thatcher's memoir titled Sexy and I Know It, The Thatcher Papers. Um, Austin sees the cover, takes half a beat to appreciate it with a tiny, ooh. And then the stick smashes down and Austin ducks his head behind the book, which takes the blow and explodes in a confetti shower of shredded pages flying up and floating down around him. Brian resumes his strong attack and again Austin staggers back and again blindly reaches out and grabs a book, holding it in front of him once again and it's revealed to be the autobiography of number two with Rob Lowe and Rob Wagner on the front, arms around each other's shoulders, smiling ecstatically and it's titled Two's Company, Making a Number Two, The Number Two Story. And if you pause the image, once you get it on video or DVD, you'll also see there's a cover quote. And uh, the quote is, two twos equal a foregone conclusion. The sexy must read of the season, Frau Frabissner. <laughs> uh, this too is now pulverized with the same explosive result. Uh, as the book explodes, Austin again falls back, bumping against the wall, nowhere left to go, O'Brien advancing, Austin pulls one more book, and this one says, My Feminine Side and Other Conquests, The Austin Powers Guide to Sexual Coupling, Group Wriggling, and Knowing When to Say, Is It Time for Seconds? And of course, it's got a very sexy pose on the front from Austin, uh, and the stick comes down. But this book is so thick, the stick gets stuck right in the cover photo of Austin's highly sexually suggestive facial expression. Uh, Austin takes a beat to realize uh, and then react. Then he and O'Brien have a dance, the stick remaining stuck firmly in the book as Austin keeps a grip on this, and they smash and waltz and all about uh, all all over the bookshop, into displays, into stands and shelves. They destroy most of the bookshop, going from section to section. In the cooking section, Austin grabs some prop from a prominent display, fending off the stick with a whisk. Then they move into gardening, where he grabs a <laughs> trowel, again countering blows. Then into true crime, where he grabs a Trump autobiography, and Austin notices and says, ooh, political. Uh, the fight music is intense and dramatic and suddenly stops 
uh, as we cut suddenly to the children's section where it's suddenly very, very calm and another book reading is underway. And we have a group of cross-legged children sit on the floor in front of a cameoing Jennifer Lopez who reads from the children's book she's apparently written, Squirrely Squirrel, the squirrel who liked trees but was afraid of wood. And Lopez, finishing the book, uh, says, So you see, said Maggie Rabbit, it's not whose wood it is, but rather how you use it that counts. <laughs> and she looks triumphantly up from the book and says to the children, And that is where Squirrely Squirrel kept his nuts forever and ever. The end. And the children all go, ah, as if some massive question has been resolved. When suddenly Austin and O'Brien burst in, smashing through the huge cardboard cutout of Squirrely Squirrel. And the music cue, which is all you know, pounding and pulsating, kicks back in, making the kids scream and flee. And Lopez is furious and rounds on her panicking agent and says, I thought I told you, no more fights to the death at my readings. This is why I moved out of L.A. And the fight finally ends up as the stick is wrenched hard and both it and the book fly away out of both their grasps. Austin and Brian wearily face the other, panting. Brian does a red grant and extends his bracelet into a grotting wire. And Brian O'Brien says, any last words, powers? And Austin says, oh, I should think one or two I could come up. Crane kick! And uh, Austin performs a crane kick, sending Brian flying back to crash into a huge towering and teetering shelf stacked to the brim with copies and copies of a large hardback book with a large sign uh, reading, Clearance Must Go. As Brian hits it, the massive shelf starts to topple and Brian looks up in time and we probably have a point of view shot of this thing leaning forward, this insanely high shelf and start to come down on top of him uh, the books it's holding now tipping forward about to fall and the book we now see is written by brian o'brien himself with an angst-free photo of brian on the cover holding up his arms in a uh, in an i've just got to be me pose we also see the title the brian patch inside the brain of brian o'brien uh, Brian screams as the hundreds, if not thousands, of unsold chunky books rain down onto him. He is instantly hammered down and covered by the cascading torrent of he heavily price-reduced items. Austin and a small gathering uh, crowd watch, transfixed by the falling tomes, still coming down insanely fast with an apparently never-ending supply from above. It's like the chain at the end of Twins. Uh, Austin watches, wincing uh, as they continue to pour down, ending with an unfeasibly high mountain of books with Brian's feet sticking out from the bottom like the Wicked Witch of the West. And we see his shoes are green felt leprechaun boots with bells on the curly toes. And one solitary bell falls with a uh, pitiful tinkle, uh, does a little roll and then lies still. And the last book lands on top of the heap and then says, finally, silence. And Lopez is like transfixed, standing next to Austin, open mouthed and staring at this big pile. And Lopez is like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And Austin kind of sees her for the first time and instantly tries to show off. And he's like, mm, yes, now that's what I call a bookend. And, mm. you know, Lopez is sort of non-committal in her reaction. And so he thinks and then he's like, he'll have to rethink his booking 
and he looks at her again and she gets you know she gives a half-hearted smile and austin not very book smart a pause and then looks like you skipped to the end um i wouldn't want to take a leaf out of that uh, book uh and then lopez is like not what i'd call light reading and austin's oh. like oh oh yes and <laughs> then he starts to dance and then lopez starts to dance and then the walls of the bookshop move back on wheels revealing it was a set all along now austin lopez and all the bookshoppers spill forward and out and we pull back to find ourselves in the center of Times square for the opening song and dance number and the titles come up oh. austin powers intergalactic gentleman of time with an exclamation mark very expensive and epic uh, title sequence with mass dancing and improbable locations the huge screen at the center of Times square now shows like the royal crest and crown and then austin's face wearing the crown loving it <laughs> and down below the dance spills out onto fifth avenue and all the hustle and bustle of all the commuters suddenly like change and like start dancing like really smoothly and perform this highly choreographed dance uh, on the many flagpoles lining the huge wide street, all the stars and stripes um, along Fifth Avenue unfold to reveal their now union flags. And Austin dances with an ever expanding throng down Fifth Avenue and beyond to the, you know, ba -ba 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 -ba. Ba -ba 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 -ba. and uh, behind him uh floating magically in the air behind austin is like a trail of like red uh, white and blue of the british flag uh following austin like fairy dust and now like tinkerbell everything he touches or walks past um transforms through in-camera trickery to become uh english so uh, all the New York street cops are touched by like the fairy dust following uh, Austin and they take off their hats and turn them inside out and put them back on. But now they're English bobby helmets and they tug at their uniforms that come away as one um, uh, revealing like copper uniforms underneath. And Austin dances and flounces past a line of hot dog vendors, pretzel merchants and pizza slice touts. And as soon as they are touched by the ribbon of fairy dust in his wake, the food sellers upend their trays, flip their tables and spin their trolleys 360, each magically becoming hot chestnut wagons, jellied eel trolleys and steak and kidney pie stools. Uh, a line of fashionable, beautiful New York socialites watch Austin flounce past, his pixie dust touching them as they go. Their faces remain too cool for school and austere, but then as one, they all smile widely, revealing horrible, crooked and badly kept teeth, uh, just to keep the American audience happy there with this sacrilegious beginning. A ticker tape parade rains down Union flags, a gaggle of stern, dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker academic types, unimpressed by this disruption, become a beefeater, a palace guard and a British bowler hat uh, wearing businessmen, respectively. Uh, the end of the epic dance routine comes with a shot of Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty in the foreground, her crown now that of the royal family, her toga now that of the Union flag, and her torch explodes and fireworks burst out, again the colours of the British flag, and God Save the King playing, and her patriotic toga flutters in the wind, um, and we see she's wearing Austin glasses. And then boom, the music ends and uh, the shot swells and we have a hard cut uh, and directed by Joe Rhodes. And we're in and we cut straight to it's night uh, and a top secret lab. And again, comes up top secret lab uh, somewhere in England. 
and then again near Croydon. Um, a border security guard is knocked out by a figure um, who bypasses all of the security levels and traps. We see the shadow moving and, and little reveals, but nothing much. Uh, but we do see a shadow profile. It's pretty distinct. And a close-up of hands and fingers typing entry commands on keyboards and numerical codes on iPads and keypads and all sorts of pads. And then like a tricky multiple choice pub quiz series of Q&As <laughs> comes up and we see one, which is which singer's 1982 hit, I Just Want to Dance, was number one for eight weeks. And the figure, like his fingers you know, hover over the selection, but then he ignores uh, Cliff Richard, Oingo Boingo and Hoyt Axton and chooses Eddie Grant. And it's like, bing, and it's the correct answer. And a tick comes up. <laughs> And the final huge metal door beeps and opens, revealing a mammoth and futuristic machine inside this cavernous metallic chamber. Uh, and we see the lights and dry ice flashing and everything comes to life and starts pulsating and pulsing. And the machine starts to hum. And it's like it's huge. It's like the one in Superman 3 and stretched out um, over, you know, on on the computer bank itself, a big shadow stretches up of the intruder, the bald dome of the head and lick little pinky pose of triumph, making it clear who it is. And if it doesn't, the hairless shadow and meow squawk of satisfaction from Mr. Bigglesworth should definitely make it clear. And the intruder laughs in triumph and says, time for revenge, Mr. Powers. <laughs> and the shadow approaches the machine as cackles fill the room. And we cut and it's a... Uh, London, Austin's modern-looking bachelor pad, and Austin enters and has a moment to uh, relax. And we have like 30-odd seconds for a look into Austin's life in 2027. Uh, on the shelves, we see glimpses of what he's been up to the last 25 years, trophies and keepsakes from countless missions, photos of him with presidents and prime ministers, pop stars, megastars, the Pope, and finally with Weird Al Yalkovich, both giving enthusiastic thumbs up. And we see a candid pic of Austin and his father, Nigel, both apparently caught unawares in a double bed with two dolly birds. Both, <laughs> men are, both men are fully dressed, but their glasses are both crooked and they're reacting to the camera with surprise and indignation as the dolly birds just stare. And we also have framed and signed photos with lipstick kisses, uh, headshots, of uh, Mrs. Kensington and then Vanessa, Felicity Shagwell, Foxy Cleopatra, but then others hinting at other adventures we haven't seen with photo cameos from Natalie Portman, Nicole Kidman, Zoe Salander, Charlize Theron, Drew Barrymore, Selena Gomez, and finally Dame Edna Everidge. Amazing. Next, <laughs> uh, and they've all got like, if you pause them, they've all got witty little saucy, like I'll never forget that night in Paris and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You owe me $5, that sort of thing. That's probably from Kidman. Next to the photo of Vanessa, by the way, is a large jar, which we now move out and we see inside is Vanessa's severed robot head. And as Austin That's passes, so wow. it fizzes and twitches and then uh, comes to life. And she looks up at him and says in a vaguely metallic voice, uh, robot Vanessa, hello, uh, 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 Austin. And Austin, hello, evil robot Vanessa head. And she smiles bashfully, and then her smile twitches robotically, and one of her eyeballs flames and then plops out. Uh, the rest of the photos show Austin uh, aging into the mature, dignified, older gent 
who he uh, appears to be. He's mellow and distinguished. And in a minute, uh, he with Basil Exposition will have it. He's aged like fine wine and smells like old cheese. Hmm. Now the lounge area opens up, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friend style. The sofa moves back, the coffee tail moves, the floor moves. There's like a good sized TV in the center of this like lounge, but then that TV moves down and it's eclipsed by this huge, massive TV that rises up. And on that screen, um, Basil's face now appears. But then from the top of the massive screen is like a tiny well like a like a normal size phone and then austin reaches out and picks that up and then basil's face pops up on that little screen and he talks to him on that and basil basically is a hello austin uh, and he says like there is a brand new threat from an age-old foe austin your brother and austin what gavin powers and basil no no austin not that brother chip powers the building contractor from wisconsin no Pip Powers, the terror of Bethnal Green? No, Austin. Chipmunk Charlie, Fred the Flasher, Grant the Groat. Terry, don't call me Terry Powers. No, Austin, your brother, Dr. Evil Powers. And Austin's like, oh, yeah. Like, he's, he's remembering that particular plot twist that everyone's sort of forgotten. And Basil's like, he says, like, he's been on his best behavior for quite a long time, but now Dr. Evil has finally snapped, it seems, and gone back to his old ways. Um, Basil says like to Austin that uh, Austin's new boss will be along momentarily to inform him as to the nature therefore of his mission and at that moment the front door opens and in enters his boss Crispy Enchilata played by Salma Hayek uh, she is uh, all business but on good terms with Austin who's always been a fan of quote ethnic dishes and we're told what's what Dr. Evil has decided being friendly just wasn't for him, turned his back on his family and decided to revert to his old ways, breaking into a top secret military installation to make use of the device that was recently being housed there. A time machine. It's like, bam, bam, bam. And then Austin's like, oh, what, another one? And Crispy is like, ah, yes, but with one noticeable difference. This time machine hasn't been built yet. And Austin is confused, but tries to hide it, but fails. And he's like scholarly, like, hmm, fingering in front of his <laughs> mouth and stuff. But, mm. <laughs> and, um, but we learned that this time machine was sent back to 2027 from the far future for purposes and by people unknown. No one could work out how to use it, but Dr. Evil apparently figured it out. Now it can only be used to repeat the previous trip, meaning it will only send the user to Evil's first jump point. Um, there's a lot now, frankly, which sharp-eared viewers might realize that my basic plot to this film is exactly the same as my basic plot to Back to the Future 4. So with that in mind, <laughs> uh, from there, Austin and Crispy will have to deduce uh, where Evil went. So they need to get to his first time jump and then work work on from there and follow accordingly. So Austin uh, acts like the, ah, why didn't you say so? Uh, it is, you know, but he's, it's clear he still has lost as ever. And Crispy is like, no one has seen power like this machine before. It is a threat on an unprecedented level. What it could do, what the potential is. And Basil, and if that weren't bad enough, the rip in time and space 
which uh, creates like a fissure that you can step through into any time. Well, it, it does look a lot like a vagina. And Austin nods, but then he's like, I'm sorry, what? Crispy now says there's no more time, as Dr. Evil has already no doubt started leaving his imprint throughout history. And she says, God only knows what havoc he's already caused. And we cut to a desert at night, and the text reads, trr, trr, Old West, 1841. Uh, Native Americans around their fire, chanting, singing, passing a pipe. Then the wind picks up, horses neigh, and suddenly a vertical line in the air opens above them. A portal forms, and indeed it does look a little bit like a, uh, a crude drawing of, of a vagina. Before the assembled tribal elders, blue light creeps creepy 1950s sci-fi sound effects like ooh, and a ghostly form of Dr. Evil materializes in the center, but then shimmers down to the ground in the blue glow. The tribal elder turns to his young son and says, maybe with sub subtitles, when I was a boy, my grandfather would say, when lady parts open in sky and bald knob appears, this is the time to move to Colorado. And on the ground in front of them now, Dr. Evil's form solidifies and the blue light disappears and he takes in his surroundings and gestures to the pipe being passed around and says to the group around the fire, you're going to help a brother out or just sit there and bogart that thing all night long? And the elders look gravely at the other. Then uh, one passes the pipe to Evil, who takes a hit, exhales, and nods, saying, that's Mama's good shit right there. And the elders look at each other uh, and nod sagely. And the tribal elder's son turns to his father and says, I'll start the packing. We cut back to London 2027. Austin and Crispy have arrived at the mega lab housing the time machine. There they meet Basil and a small group of scientists, the head scientist played by Idris Elba, having a ball, being funny and dry. We're told they need to follow Dr. Evil's time trail, starting where he first jumped to before jumping further back through history. Austin says, and where exactly is our first time jump taking us, Basil? And Basil is brave. It seems Dr. Evil has already made several jumps, but his first stop is the, in the past, and it's a dark, dangerous, alien past. But I want you to brace yourself, Austin, that you're going back. You're going all the way back to 1997. And uh, it is here that Austin and Crispy must start their adventure. Uh, now, one thing that fascinates me, which is, which is why 100% I set this film and made this film in 2027, is it's 30 years after the original Austin Powers. And of course, in the original Austin Powers, he jumps back 30 years, he gets, well, he jumps forward 30 years from 67. So isn't that a depressing thought? Yeah, uh, the same amount of time. <laughs> so he goes back to 97. Um, yes. Um, so to prepare for their new destination, they are presented with some relics from 97. These include a boxy laptop, a blockbuster video membership card, the premier Scott Wolf VHS collection, and a pair of Nike pumps. Elba says that he and the other three scientists have been trying to figure this last one out with limited success. We see all three pump the shoes, Austin trying to interject but is cut off by the know-it-all Elba, and then all three shoes burst powder into the scientists' faces 
as in part one. And now Austin and Crispy bid farewell to Basil and, uh, and the present, and they start their adventure. The machine is activated and hums and pulses and whines and lights flash and thunder rumbles and crashes and black clouds form in the sky above. And then the vertical line of light appears and parts and opens. This fissure in the fabric of space-time opens in the sky above and in front of them. And yeah, it still looks a lot like a vagina. <laughs> uh, so uh, Crispy turns to Austin as the wind is picking up around them. And she says, come, let us step into nature's greatest hole. And as the fissure, in they go, stepping into the Terran reality and are swallowed up. And Basil and a still powdery-faced Elba stare at it, with Elba explaining that now this rip in the whole of existence can be seen in every point in history. Uh, and Elba says, nothing like this has ever been seen in the history of mankind. And Basil's like, really? And you know, Elba, behold, the greatest power the Earth, nay, the galaxy has ever known. Doesn't it just make you want to drop to your knees and bury your face deep in its wonder? And Basil, frowning, slightly apprehensive, is like, yes, but does it have to look like that? And Elba, like what? Well, I mean, I don't want to be crude, but it does seem to me that this fissure in the space-time continuum does look a trifle lot like a, and we cut, pussy, baseball coach, 1997. <laughs> and a big mouth uh, Little League baseball coach played by Dean Norris is screaming at his team of 10-year-olds, one and one player in particular, and we catch the last of his tirade. Uh, That's what you are, a pussy. You're all pussies. Can't swing a bat, can't run a lap, can't throw a ball. You're useless, useless. And he grabs the ball from a mortified player and hurls it furiously up into the air, and the ball flies straight into the open fissure, uh, which is just opened up in front of them, and the ball goes in, and we hear a boink, and uh, ow, and Austin steps out, his glasses crooked, rubbing his head, and he is surrounded by blue godlike, but then which dissipates immediately. And the coach and the team stare, and Austin admonishes them, which one of you lot threw that bloody ball? And there's a beat, and then the team of children point as one straight at the coach, who is apparently planning on keeping Stum, but now he's been outed, he steps forward with bravado, and Coach Norris is like, I did. You got a problem with a manly throw too? And uh, Crispy then steps out of the fissure next to Austin holding the ball. And she says, you tell me, Esse. And throws the ball, which bonks off Dean Norris's head, leaving him dazed an inch away from cartoon birds flying around his head <laughs> and sound effects. And after a beat, a single tooth uh, dislodges, uh, front tooth just falls out of his face. And he tips back and goes down with his eyes crossed and the kids stare a beat and then all cheer and uh crispy gives a little bow to them as she is and austin start to leave the field and crispy says be on your guard austin the 90s was a twisted place the worst thing to happen to america in decades involved the president with a cigar a football player with small gloves and a war that no one remembers and the coach from his back on the floor as they pass two wars and crispy without looking exactly and they exit the frame <laughs> so now they have to find evil's uh, first stop which is number two's skyscraper office so they break in find number two played in 1997 now by rob lowe um 
And it seems he's had a visit already from 2027's Dr. Evil and has no compunction in telling Austin and Crispy everything they need to know to follow his trail further back in time. Number two is not a fan of Dr. Evil at all. Some more jokes about how Lowe had actually never aged and so how the joke probably doesn't work. And some remarks on like the 90s love of beige. Um, and it may well be here that number two explains what this machine is. It's not just a time traveling machine, uh, but it also creates a fork in the timeline at each destination with the machine's user being replicated into a time clone, um, which will replace like any figure in history you choose. Um, so with yourself, essentially. Dr. Evil plans to replace prominent figures throughout history with versions of himself in creating alternative timelines. Uh, but all of this, like timelines, inverted commas <laughs> and so forth. A multiverse, you know, lots of that. Um, so <laughs> Powers and Enchilata have the info, know where to go next, and they pop off, um, triggering the time device and jumping once again into uh, Dr. Evil's slipstream in time. And as the fissure opens in front of them, number two watches them go in awe, and he says, my God, the power, the majesty, the possibilities. Wonder why it looks so much like a snatch. 2001, a contestant on a game show. She shouts out and looks hopeful. We cut to the coast as played by Ty Burrell. You said snatch. Our survey said bing. Correct. Any more? Contestant. Uh, meet Joe Black. Bing. Excellent. And you have just one more Brad Pitt movie title and you'll be the new champion. Uh, the contestant's thinking with an eyes pop as she looks up as the fissure opens in front of the live studio audience. And the contestant says, oh, my God, is that allowed to be shown on daytime TV? It looks just like a box, box. Who will buy this small tight box? <laughs> good for shoes, good for fish. Oh, who will someone fill my lovely box? And it's a London market stall in 1901 uh, and with a woman, uh, Anne Hathaway, dressed as uh, Eliza Doolittle uh, with like flowers in their hat and so forth, selling lots of boxes of all shapes and sizes. And a shopper uh, drops the box that he's examining and looks up into the sky and says, never mind that shit. What on earth is that? And Hathaway looks up and says, beats me, mister. But to my money, it looks a lot like a fanny. And a uh, title comes out Sweden in 1982. <laughs> fanny, and not just that, but Alexander too. That's right, Fanny and Alexander <laughs> now showing. Come on, tickets here. And a tout outside a cinema, Swedish and loud, played by Mike Myers, shouting, I'll shout that again. Fanny and Alexander, get your tickets for Fanny and Alexander. Bergman does it again. Come and see. It's five hours long and there is no intermission. What's the alternative? Be cold. Uh, the lady in the concession stand suddenly drops her malt balls and looks up. Oh my God, what is this? High in the sky. It looks exactly like my hoo-ha, hoo-ha, <laughs> 1992 on the set of Scent of a Woman. Al Pacino oh as a cameo of himself rehearsing his lines when a runner approaches. Mr. Pacino, they're ready for you on set, Mr. Pacino. Ah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Hey, tell me. Do I look blind to you? And the runner says, I'm over here, sir. And we have a wider shot and we see that Al is talking to a hat stand with the runner off to one side. And Al is like, really? Wow, I really am that good, aren't I? 
and the runner is no longer listening but looking up and the runner says oh my god what's that and Pacino whoa I don't know but talk about scent of a woman that thing looks exactly like a twat twat uh, Scotland 1305 William Wallace as played by Myers with his Scottish accent covered in blue paint is strapped down in front of a crowd about to be executed the black hooded executioner looms over him holding an axe and Wallace continues twat to what do I owe the honor of being <laughs> such a distinguished death as this and uh, the executioner now looks up sees the fissure and pulls off his hood revealing himself to be Mel Gibson and Gibbo says <laughs> don't ask me I just work here but tell me this Billy is it me or in the sky is that a and uh, Wallace says hopefully freedom and Gibbo oh, maybe but to my mind it looks a lot more like a massive gash and there's another gash there and loads of smaller cuts all over the place no doubt about it saucy Jack is struck again Whitechapel 1891 <laughs> a street copper is examining the body uh, of a murdered young lady played by Heather Graham while addressing Inspector Adeline played by Johnny Depp and Depp yes very good but what about the cause of death and the copper a ruddy great knife I'd say Inspector but my word forgive me but up there above us now sir what is that for my money it looks like a set of meat curtains who will buy yeah. these lovely meat curtains and it's 1501 in Frankfurt <laughs> Germany a large German butcher Myers shouts from his doorway a passing wench Mindy, Mindy Kaling shouts back you're insane hair mad moody madman Willem you'll find no one to purchase these oddities that appeal to no one and the butcher oh no and what about that man who bought my sausage shoes just last week and now the fissure opens and Austin and Crispy arrive, causing a stir um, in the marketplace. And they make some banter with the German peasants and learn that the Duke in his castle has been acting weird. And this is obviously where they need to go. So we also start now. There's a running gag that may, um, that may well start now. Austin is constantly turning down the sexual advances of much younger and very, very attractive ladies as the age gap is just not appealing to him. And he keeps being like, ooh, no. Uh, another gag is set up with uh, Crispy Enchilata is her code name, and she refuses to give her real name. Like, come on, can't be as bad as Crispy Enchilata but she's like having none of it and that's sort of a continual thing as well they follow Effie, evil's just, trail just quickly man i've got i can't just let you whip into this next bit without just acknowledging what just happened there like i mean that was that gag done across time and space with movie references and like holy shit that's like next up and myers cameos and everything <laughs> so just bloody hell anyway did, sorry sorry well, Please, you you did boobies but um, not across like, time and space with my cameo <laughs> the movie references it was pretty <laughs> was pretty next level bad but anyway yeah sorry all right um uh, uh, nice nice um okay so they um crispy and austin get to the large castle overlooking the village where they meet the count and leader of the community who is revealed to be dr evil but not and this is of course a time double which has been created um he is dressed as the duke uh, but he is a new version of Dr. Evil. And he is just Dr. Evil where dressed as a duke, basically. So now Austin and Crispy realize they must capture every time twin Dr. Evil has left behind. Uh, they use a Ghostbusters-type ghost trap 
to suck Count Evil into it, leaving the original Count in his place, Quantum Leap style. They open a fissure again, step through, leaving a gawping scullery maid, played by Lady Gaga, staring, and she says, got in him or what is this? And then Scullery Mage 2, who's played by Gillian Anderson. And in the end credits, we see uh, she is credited as Dana Scullery Maid. And uh, she <laughs> says, if you ask me, it looks like a hysterical quim. England, 1545, the royal court of Henry VIII. Uh, 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 the jester continues to shout, quim, quim, where is my Harley? And she's like, yeah, that's Quinn, genius. And Henry demands entertainment. So the gesture uh, Jester and Harley, who is revealed to be Beyonce, start some shtick. Uh, when Henry starts to glow, go funny. And then Henry VIII morphs into Dr. Evil, uh, complete with like large gut and a huge, obviously fake orange beard. And everyone stares in the court, but they go along with it. Um, evil Henry. Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Evil Henry says, now that's what I call reformation. Mm? Reformation. Ah, forget it. Evil as Henry demands more food, more wives, and more bare-skinned cloaks. Austin and Crispy arrive, and Evil Henry orders their beheading. Austin freezes in panic. He's like, guards, take their heads. And it's like, bam, bam. Close up on Austin as he freezes with a crash zoom into his stricken face and we hold on this for a beat before he calmly uh looks straight into the camera and introduces the ye olde band uh playing on lutes and fifes etc in the corner and austin says ladies and gentlemen mr elvis costello smoky robinson and quim quinn c jones and the three <laughs> gentlemen play a lilting cover version of uh some maybe windmills of my mind um, and this is sung uh, as antics continue in the throne room. Uh, a semi-montage to their song has Austin don a suit of armour with the glasses outside, you know, the visor, Natch. And uh, Henry Evil has a tug of war with a court dog over a massive turkey leg. And Crispy has a fencing match with Harley Quinn with an assortment of, at first, different types of swords and then random objects like a mannequin leg and a golfing umbrella um just randomly in 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 1508 after all of this austin and crispy zap henry and make their escape they travel to the old west where austin must confront the town sheriff now another dr evil time clone and they have a high noon quick draw and then to ancient babylon where austin chokes on a grape and meets <laughs> evil neo-babylonian king evil uh, and then at the Gettysburg Address, evil Lincoln disrupts his own speech and starts to demand more national holidays, less mud, more free library memberships, less, you know, slavery. Austin and Crispy second his points, zap him and escape. 1920s, they meet a gangster in a speakeasy uh, who's evil. Uh, they zap him in ancient Greece. Austin dabbles in theater and homosexuality in the same afternoon. The Spanish Inquisition, where Austin must survive torture and Salma, Crispy, must masquerade as a Grand Inquisitor. All of this is intercut with Dr. Evil's antics as he travels to these places first, disrupts history. We also see him in different time periods trying to recruit uh, new henchmen and lackeys. And this is harder than it looks. We see Dr. Evil in Germany as he tries to rally peasants who are having none of it. 
and in the old west he's trying to get some like uh corral some interest with wanted signs and in the 1980s he stars in a public access tv commercial pure soul goodman style and he's like looking for new opportunities seeking specialized employment want to work 20 minutes from home look no further apply now and join me dr evil an equal evil opportunity employer um <laughs> but yeah he never does he never gets what he wants now to the roman empire where austin invents the orgy three decades early um and he, then um caesar turns into evil caesar who is having the time of his life and then we have an extended song and dance number as Dr. Evil Caesar sings Ain't No Parte Like a Brute Parte. <laughs> After zapping and resetting all of the evils throughout history, finally Austin and Crispy catch up with the original Dr. Evil in a mud hut surrounded by cavemen um, all turning evil. And he sort of lost control of the device and is like pop, pop, pop. Loads of like, you know, really stupid uh cavemen dr evils that um so they stop these idiot versions of dr evil and he's really mortified and embarrassed by these drugs um and evil looks like he's caught um well he is caught and we go activate um the machine to take him back to 2027 and we start act three they activate the machine uh, but the machine has other ideas and has been controlled not by Austin or by evil, but by the one who sent it back in the first place from the far future. And now Austin, Crispy and Evil are transported to the far future on a moon base around Saturn, where they meet aliens, spaceships, weird technology and the architect of the entire plot. They're standing in front of like a huge curtain, pure Oz style um, and Crispy. Um, are there uh, you know with the big reveal and behind a curtain out steps and it's a bam ba and it's moved faster uh will ferrell and mustafa and austin's like i knew it and uh, <laughs> mustafa is like i always knew this day would come powers the moment of ultimate reckoning of tantalizing revenge of and crispy what's with the mop and Mustafa pauses, reacts as if seeing for the first time that he is in fact holding a mop and is dragging behind him a bucket and he's wearing a pinny, uh, and still the fez, of course. And we almost immediately learn that Mustafa is a very low-level lackey and currently <laughs> making tea for his bosses while mopping the floor and answering the phones. <laughs> and once this penny drops and our heroes learn that he's not the main baddie, a laugh fills the room and then another and another and another until there are six different laughs, cackles and titters and lights come up around a very large circular white table and sitting around it are the uh, six supervillains who are the really behind this plot. Uh, a simpering six, if you will, of like-minded uh, types who have teamed up in the future sent the time splicer back to 2027 knowing that dr evil wouldn't be able to resist it using it and thus enabling them to catch evil and austin in one fell swoop whilst causing lots of havoc throughout time in the process uh, spotlights go chong 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 uh, one by one around uh, the table revealing the baddie masterminds and as we go around the large table we also cut to austin reacting to each as they are uh, revealed the simpering six is Number one, Scotty Evil. 
and he is in a bad way, made all the worse by a, an appalling wig he's got, like, perched on top of his massive dome. And Austin is like, oh, well, I suppose not a huge surprise. And Scotty is like, oh, really, Powers? Well, what about you? Surprised to see me, Dad? And Evil's like, ah, oh, it's Sam, right? And Scotty whining, like, it's Scott, Scott! And next, boom, a light comes on, and it's the customs guy from the three other films. Um, and Austin's like, oh, it's customs guy. And the customs guy, yes, with a gun, a knife, and one book. And he holds it up. How I beat Austin Powers and other amusing antidotes by customs guy. <laughs> and then uh, Clint Howard. No one expected this, right? And Austin, I'm not even sure who you are. And then a dolly bird from the opening dance number of part one, never acknowledged, never taken seriously. And she says, these boots are made for walking on your face, Powers. And then Rob Lowe, as, a, as, a, as the friend of the guard who was eaten by the mutant sea bass in the deleted scene in the American version of the, the first one. And he's like, revenge! Or if American people don't like that, you've got an alternative and it's Christian Slater as the hypnotized security guard. And he says, <laughs> all I want is my Sherbert. <laughs> and finally, Fred Savage as the master mole. And uh, he's the ultimate inside man, you might say. Uh, but now he's got a mole on each side of his face. And he says, I'm a double agent. Climax now is a huge set two between the Simpering Six, Mustafa, as well as cameos from Robot Mini-Me, Frau Frappers and um, Frozen Head, and Robert Wagner's number two, who appears to be a sex slave of the alien lizard queen. Uh, the heroes beat the villains with aplomb, everyone playing a part. A moonraker, there you go, mega laser oh. shootout with zero G, aliens, robots, and Fred Savage. Um, and Savage now reveals with aplomb a lightsaber, which he ignites, grinning, and he swings and immediately cuts himself in half at the waist. At the height of the fighting, in a huge wide shot, Everyone stops dead and freezes mid-punch, mid-shoot, mid-flick through the air as Mustafa slowly enters the bottom of the frame, pushing a tea trolley with a squeaky wheel. And he offers people cups of tea, which everyone um, <laughs> fighting from both sides gratefully accepts. And Mustafa <laughs> is like, so yours was milk, no sugar. And customs guy, don't tell me, black with a twist of lemon. And everyone takes a moment. <laughs> Uh, some, some still floating lazily above in the zero G. Then they uh, return to their cups and Mustafa speaks slowly um, out of frame as he leaves, uh, just being like, oh, I'm just doing my job. And then as he leaves, the image explodes again as battle resumes. As members of the six are dispatched one by one, uh, Scotty is the last man standing and he grabs the controller uh, for the time machine and bolts. Uh, he jumps into a Flash Gordon-style retro rocket and zooms off into space uh, with his own time machine. Uh, he's going to go and uh, duplicate them all, all throughout history, um, and he's going to spread Austin and evil um, and, co and corrupt the heroes in the eyes of history. So just as the machine is about to overload and wipe out the timeline itself, Austin makes it to an airlock and relieves himself out of the vacuum cup into space, enabling Myers to facially act 
like he's sticking his winky into the vacuum of space and all that entails, and then getting a galactic blowjob from the elements. He gurns, he goes cross-eyed, he, he mugs, he acts in pain and in pleasure all at the same time. <laughs> he does an asparagus wee into space, which everyone sniffs and notices, and then this uh, stream freezes, turning into a long spear of icy wee-wee. Uh, which flies through space straight into Scotty's rocket, pierces both the side of the rocket and the machine inside with seconds to go, causing it to implode, sucking all of the remaining robots, aliens, clones, etc., and Scotty Do himself into its final fissure and victory. To finish off, there's a zero-G sex scene between Crispy and Austin with floating bits of clothing, a shoe, a shoelace, some grapes, a sonic screwdriver, a blob of floating water, etc., covering their erogenous zones wittily. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Evil then floats into the shot next to them, horribly naked, putting Austin and Crispy off their sex, and Evil tries to touch his toes, trying to remove his socks, sort of going end over end, giving Austin an easy Uranus joke, this sight ultimately proving too much, causing Austin to vomit the blob of sick chasing uh, evil Crispy and Austin himself around the zero-G space capsule. And then they return triumphantly to 2027, stepping through the fissure, and Austin saying, I'll miss these little portals, even if they do look surprisingly like a vulva. And Austin too. And it's 2027, and Basil greets Crispy and then Austin as they emerge back into 2027. And Austin says, Hang on, and turns to Crispy. Your real name's Vulva. And Crispy says, that's Miss Flange to you. <laughs> and Basil interrupts, saying there's a problem, leads them to the next door where they, he opens up and it's the inside of a massive pub where they all find all of the evil time twins of, e of evil, the Caesar evil, the Sheriff evil, Count evil, all of them, all hanging about listlessly, as well as loads of time clones of Austin as well. A cowboy Austin, Roman gladiator Austin, caveman, a Greek philosopher Austin. Uh, final <laughs> scene is everyone in the pub having a grand old time, loads of evils and Austins from history. Uh, one, you know, evil still looking like Henry VIII and everything. Basil is there too, congratulating Austin and Crispy on their success. The landlord, played by Stephen Merchant, shouts out, time, gentlemen, to which the entire room replies, yes. Basil says there's only one thing for it, but to return the time clones to their proper time and place. So the, the fissure opens and off they all go. Basil watches with awe as they all march in one by one. And to the landlord, Basil says, astonishing, a true marvel of science. And landlord merchant says, yeah, but is it me or does it look a lot like a Hair pie, south of England, 1789. Baker shouts his wares. Hair pie here. Forget rabbits. Forget venison. I guarantee any bite of my wife's juicy hair pie is the juicy <laughs> pie this side of Somerset. And a passerby. Fine, but what's that? Hmm, looks a lot like a beaver. 1967, America. A mother, Cheryl Hines, is calling to her kids who are playing on the front lawn. Kids, I said it's time for Leave it to Beaver. The kids go yay and start to run inside when the dad steps out, Frank Grillo, looking into the sky. His son stops and looks too. The son, what's that, dad? Why, son, it sort of looks like your mum's muff. 
who has pinched my muff? 1680, <laughs> Russia, a royal countess played by Kira Knightley, is angrily looking for her furs, shouting at her servant. And the servant, here's your muff, your highness, mink, white, fresh from the cleaner, and twice as fluffy as your mother's. The countess, <laughs> shut up, Dimitri, what on, for what on earth is that? High in the sky, and Dimitri, why, if my eyes don't deceive me, Highness, it looks to me to be a huge shimmering clunge. Norway, 1676, a fisherman, Jason Sudeikis, stands over a hole cut in the frozen lake. Who will take the plunge into the coldest natural hole in all of Norway? And the man's head pops to the surface of the water in the hole, and its head helms. Morning, Gert, you coming in? Tis as fresh as ever, and twice as fishy. But wait, what's that looming above us now? And uh, Sudeikis Fisherman, why, it most certainly is an icy frozen cooch. Nursery, 1704, a nanny, Miriam Margulies, leans over a crib and says, cooch, cooch, coochie, coochie, coo. Oh, my God. A little girl runs up to the nanny and says, look, nanny, up there, high above the town, whatever can it be? And the nanny why, I haven't seen a sight like that since your mother dropped her third set of twins. It looks <laughs> a lot like a constable, constable, come oh. closer. Why, this woman is alive. We're back in 1889 in Whitechapel and we have Depp and the Bobby and the corpse of Heather Graham, who now sits up and says in an astonishing Cockney accent, who will buy my beautiful roses? And Depp, oh, shut up. And all three look up. And now we see the fissure in the sky, which now opens wide, reforms, and forms into Austin's smiling face, smiling down with huge teeth, benevolently to the city of London. And the uh, constable says, now that is saucy. And Depp, that it is, constable, that it is. And the Austin in the sky winks with a ding and says, oh, ho, ho, ho. and credits. We have a mid-credits sting. Uh, we have... Uh, Scotty Evil in a prison of the future, uh, walking into his cell to find three different evils from time being amorous in his bed. And Scotty, oh my God! And Henry VIII Evil, what's the matter? Never seen three daddies trying to make a mummy? And Scotty <laughs> looks stricken. Credits. Another mid-credits sting. Crispy and Austin are preparing for another mission, heading back to their most dangerous destination yet the premier of Austin Powers Gold member. Austin confronts Mike Myers on the red carpet and says, you'd probably have been better off sticking to two. And Myers <laughs> says, wow, everyone's a critic. Dr. Evil appears, but with badly applied green makeup and Shrek ears, everyone stares and Evil is like, what? Wrong premier? A cameo in Cameron Diaz does a double take <laughs> as she passes and says, Mike, my God, man, you have never looked better. And Diaz is all over Evil, who is loving it. Then more credits, and then the final sting at the end of the credits, Austin finally returns back to his bachelor pad, and he sighs, and he hangs up his coat, and he waves the robot Vanessa head, and he plonks down into a chair, and a fissure opens in front of him, and Nigel Powers is played by Michael Caine steps out, looking ruffled and immensely pleased with himself. And Nigel says, crikey, but what an adventure. Son, if you see Joan of Arc, Helen of Troy, and Mabel of Golders Green looking for me, just say I've popped out for milk. And he gives a cheeky grin and steps back inside, swallowed up, as he says, 
My God, and would you look at the size of this? Reminds me of your mother. Austin is left alone, sighs ruefully at his old man's antics, shaking his head. He, he uh, leans back into his comfy armchair and picks up a large book with a bookmark halfway through, and we see it's Thatcher's autobiography. And uh, Austin opens and looks about to resume his reading when he suddenly drops the book, springs to his feet, and dives headfirst into the fissure after his father as, he, as it closes. And we hear from inside, Ah, oh, Mona Lisa, I presume. Oh, behave. <laughs> <laughs> and then black. Um, and two taglines. Uh, Time travel just isn't what it was. And high jinks, low brow, bad teeth. <laughs> so they... <laughs> There you being <laughs> that was brilliant really brilliant gags in there that are so good and i mean this genuinely is a compliment like but feel like timeless good like i must have seen that before like you know even stuff with the tea break or like the pretending to be the big guy but really he's still the cleaner those were two that spring like beautiful man that was so much Excellent. fun and i can really get the little um just the sheepishness and sort of the little beats of powers. But like, he's the cuddliest character that's ever been, isn't he? Like, he's <laughs> so cute. Despite <laughs> the fact he's such a chauvinist and mad, you know, but then he's sort of just have this underlying, it's an amazing performance. Well, from is what he, he a chauvinist? Like, I don't even think he is. Um, he likes not. He sex, just turns... but he's yeah. very open about it. It's like, yeah, it's true. He's yeah, he turns it. down like uh, drunk Vanessa and so forth. Yeah, that's true. He does, hey. Man, I can't believe I forgot she was a fembot. Is that the beginning of Spy Who Shagged Me, by the way? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, flipping it. I need, that's the one I have not seen in years, and it shows, doesn't mm. it? Okay. Well, anyway, that's man, like, yeah, like that's I say, fixed with a line, fixed with a line. Wonderful. Fixed with a line. Oh, by the way, the, the, the thing, what, um, the only difference was it was going to be Scott Evil, who was the big mastermind, and I knew that Scott Evil ended up being a baddie in number three. What I didn't realize until I saw the film yesterday was he literally ends with Scott Evil saying, I'll oh, get my revenge powers. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, that really isn't much of a twist. So I thought of the uh, the, the soppy six or the simpering six nice. to flesh it out. And, that uh, was yeah. absolutely wonderful, man. I really enjoyed that. Oh, and hey, so you know as well, Blow Earth didn't exist before yesterday at 6 p.m. So there was no oh, Blow that's Earth. amazing. So, yeah, My he goodness. just occurred to me. I thought, it's missing a little something there. Maybe I could do that. An extra Myers one would presume as well, of course. I'm not sure if you said, but it's clearly Mike Myers playing Blow Earth, I assume. Well, I think I've gone down a car beat to Buddha. So oh, yes. No, I'm sorry. You did say that. Yeah. No, of course. Um, no, yeah. Toki said that. I'm I really sure want really to. in reality Myers would not resist. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not. But I really like the idea that, like you say, I want them all to be friends and happy. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But that's great. That's amazing, Jimmy. Well done. Um, because what a what an indelible character. It's <laughs> indelible. <laughs> Unsmellable. Um, any, <laughs> you should probably bring a close to this absolute power. Wonderful. Um, how do Brilliant. we do that, chefs? Well, oh no, wait! An order of business. Oh uh, yes. So, sir, I'm over to you. Yeah. All right. So next time, Jimmy. Next time, we're going to do a film. I don't know if you've seen it. I think you and I might have watched it in 1989, and you didn't like it. I oh, don't God. know if you watched the whole film or if you stormed off. I don't know if you've seen it since, but it's time, Jimmy, for a sequel the world has been crying out for, a sequel, Jimmy, to The Monster Squad. 
Oh my God. Take it. Take it all the way. That's a great show. I have to rewatch it, but um, I have seen That's it. That's really my motivation, as is often the case. I just want you to watch Monster Squad. That's really <laughs> what this is all about. <laughs> Cracking. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. Right. Love it, Jimmy. Love it. How, do, how What are we going to do to sign up shows? I got, uh, yeah. I mean, there's in Dr. Evil Cackle, there's an Austin Behave, there's a, I don't know. Have you there's been a... the whole time, Sheppy? I don't know. Well, I, I, I would be offended if you didn't already know. But yes. <laughs> uh, kick off our subtitle, zip it. Um, how's that? <gasps> yeah. Not great. www.zipit.com. I, I mean, mm. geez, those scenes are just. They watch it once scenes, aren't they? Though, because they can't. You could sort of skip them almost yeah. after after you've seen them once. Yeah. Um, but... You carry on like this, you're gonna get a smack on the bottom. I certainly hope so. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's the um, <laughs> that's the Madonna video. Um, for, so so there you go. I yeah. love that. I love all the different changes of keys he achieves in one line. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes. It's so good. All the different energy <laughs> snaps. What a bloody genius. Thank you for suggesting it, Jimmy. Absolutely oh, wonderful. Nice.